and Matt Show, the disc golf podcast you've been looking for. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? John Browder, you did get the first comment tonight, so congratulations. There's no prize for that, but we're excited that you are joining in with us. Um, I just wanted to quickly say how much Matt and I appreciate everybody tuning in throughout the whole show. Uh, there's a lot of craziness going on in the world right now, so we're very we're, happy that you're going to take a couple hours. We're still alive. Yeah. We're still yeah. alive, or at least for another day. Exactly. Uh, we just want to say thank you for tuning in, taking time out of your Thursday night to check us out, and then throughout the week on all your podcast channels. I say every single week, Matt, that uh, tell someone you love them. So right now I'm going to say, look, Matt and I love you guys. We appreciate you tuning in. So, Dude, last week someone's like, Nick is just waiting for the day that Matt says, I love you, Nick. And I'm like, that actual guys. episode, it was that actual yeah. episode I listened and I did say earlier on so. at some point exactly so anyways let's talk podcast let's talk disc golf that's that's what we're here for matt we got chris dickerson in the green room right now spoiler alert yep he's going to be on in about five minutes from now um what else are we talking about um we are going to talk about potential big time sponsorship moves yeah a lot of people think with covid this year that it's possible there's not a lot of moves but I'm thinking that there's still going to be something and we're going to talk about that. And Nick and I have kind of put out feelers. Mm-hmm. Can't say that we're going to be, yeah. yeah, we can't say who everything's kind of in the rumor mill. <laughs> we're not really a hundred percent sure. Sometimes we might think we have more. I was a little detail. surprised what I saw online today. So yeah. meaning even some stuff's public very, out there. Very interactive. Um, we're going to talk about maybe jump putting. That seems, still seems to be an interesting mm-hmm. topic that people have. I heard a really creative idea, Nick, and I'm not saying it's good. But I thought it was creative and totally worth talking about. So we'll bring that up. Um, yeah. It's so funny. The circle one, circle two subject always comes up. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, well, you can't really say, like, what is circle two? And I don't know. <laughs> It'll be fun to talk about at the end of the show. Yeah, for sure. So um, then we're going to talk about, well, a little bit of everything. We're going to do Judge That Disc Golfer with Chris. And we also, maybe we'll talk a little bit about money and disc golf. And, like, are people disc golf rich now? What's going on? Is the term disc golf rich? Does yeah. it need to change now to have a different definition? Because the definition to date, disc golf rich, it's a it's yeah. a it's like a funny thing to say, right? Like yeah. you do, do you want 50 bucks at a tournament? <laughs> disc golf rich, baby. Yeah. So you have, gonna, you have the gas money to get home now. <laughs> there's things happening in the disc golf world yeah. right now um that are making us think about money. And even in my personal life, Nick, I'm going to spill the beans. Uh, where I have the opportunity to get disc golf rich, um, we'll, we'll you got to hold on till later in the show. Nick, <laughs> Nick's looking at like, me right now. Like, oh, I haven't heard this one yet. No, you have not. Yeah. Um, so again, three thousand subscriber giveaway on YouTube. If you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever you are, uh, we totally appreciate you. Um, Nick, I had someone write us this week, and if this guy's listening right now, totally appreciated it. He wrote us, and he actually said, "Hey, man, you could do a better job." nice (laughs) but he said it in a very uh respectful and in positive critique way and i said you're totally right um i feel like i've come a long way i feel like you've come a long way and i try not to cut people off as much (laughs) so anyways we totally appreciate the insight we do um but we are getting better and we totally appreciate everyone who's been here since the beginning Mm -hmm. so 
All right. I think we are very close here. I don't know if Chris is still sitting there in the green room. I think he's taking a little break while while we got our intro going. But if he's yeah, there, we give him like five to ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, we'll just wait until he pops back on. So um, so here's um, where we're at with it. We are going to bring Chris in. We're going to ask him yep. some questions that we think, you know, people would like to know about. And um, we are just ready to do that right now. And I was going to say, we have our man. He came, right. he came onto the screen. <laughs> All right, so what we'll do is we'll bring him in because it looks like he's totally ready now. It's been a long day for him, I'm sure. You know, all these interviews, demands of the the rich and famous, yeah. if you will. So, um, Chris Dickerson, Disc Golf Rich. <laughs> Tune in. Yeah, I, that is an interesting topic. So, Chris, first of all, I saw you at MVP uh, Open. We had you on our show as a participant in the Judge That Disc Golfer. You were the Judge Disc Golfer. Uh, a lot's happened since then, including... Let's just get it out there. Current and reigning U.S. champion. Whoa! Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um. Tell us about tell us about what went into that because I think I saw a post out there that said that was one of your goals for the year. Can you kind of walk us through like the the event and uh, how it played out for you and and everything that's kind of come as around that? Like, talk as much as you want. Oh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. Oh, hold hold on. on, Chris. Yeah. Hold Matt, on. Matt, technical difficulties. What did, I, what did I do? Did you mute him? It shouldn't be muted. Okay. I'm sorry if that's Wait, the case. The thing says muted. Can you click that? Where does it say muted? Like where it says their name. Right. What? Oh, it just went away. How, oh. how about now? Oh, yeah. okay. So, Nick, first of all, it wasn't my bad. It's always our bad. No, <laughs> no, no, don't blame Chris. Oh, yeah, it's not Chris. So, yeah. we asked the question. You heard the question, right? Yes. Okay, go ahead and give us uh, what you got. I think that's really interesting to hear about. Okay. So, um, yeah, as far as the tournament, I didn't really keep, uh, you know, looking at U-Disc or anything up until the last round. So even the second round, I didn't know where I was at uh, until I finished, obviously. And uh, that was really the first time I knew I had the lead. It may not have been the second round. It might have been the third. Okay, I think it was, yeah, I think third round. Was, was, yeah, Cal was Calvin leading round, after the right. second no, I'm sorry, not Calvin. Uh, not, not Calvin. Calvin um, <clears throat> Eagle. Shoot, Eagle. Yeah. It was Eagle. Yep. Yeah, Eagle was leading after the second, and um, I found out after the third that I was leading. Gotcha. And you said at the beginning of the year that you were going to win the 2020 USDGC. Or that was I, a goal. Yeah, that was a goal. <laughs> well, you kind of did say, I'm going to win this. Like, how did, that, how did that come up? Like, what gave you that mentality, like, that you were going to win it? Um, you know, I like playing a lot of par fours and par fives instead of just, um, you know, these wide open par threes. Mm -hmm. And I know there are a few out there. Um, but if there's a reason that I'm going to like Winthrop, it's because of the par fours and fives having to, uh, think about your shot and where you're going to place it in the fairway to get to your next shot. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't really like the open style of play, but I do like the mental side of it behind that. Yeah. So it kind of, with all the ropes being there, it kind of takes out, it's not just a wide open course. You do have to land your shot where you need to land it, um, in order to be inbounds, not the hazards, not out of bounds or anything like that. But, um, mm -hmm. when did you feel like during that tournament, I, I can't remember where you sat after the first and second round, but you kind of obviously started gaining momentum in the third round and you were having to, you were murdering the course kind of like, where did, 
where did that confidence build up just throughout the round? Did, were you just feeling to the point where you're like, any shot I make, any putt I throw is going to go in at that point? Um, you know, it, it kind of did feel that way. It felt like, uh, you know, I was stepping up to every shot and I had confidence behind it and I didn't feel, you know, anything about messing up the shot. Mm -hmm. So, um, actually the only, <clears throat> up until the last round, the only hold that I really felt nervous on was 17. Mm. Yeah, I feel like everyone's got to feel nervous on 17. <laughs> right. You could be in last place and still feel nervous on 17. <laughs> I don't know. What was your what was your gameplay going into the 17 in that round? I mean, did you know what you were going to do before you got to the tee pad? Uh, going into the last round? Yeah. So I did know what I was going to do going into that. But obviously, depending on what uh, Calvin was doing at the time, like I said, I didn't check U-Disc until about halfway through that last round. Um, so going into that hole, it, my game plan was to just bail out to the right side, the bigger part of the green, and just lay up, take a three. Um, but if uh, if the situation would have been a little bit different, I could have tried to play it a little more aggressive and trying a little harder to get the two. But honestly, I'm not a fan of that hole. So doing that would have made – uh, OB a lot more of a factor. Mm -hmm. Are you not a fan of it because of the huge momentum swings that it has on people's rounds? Like what, what don't you like about that hole? Cause I, like I personally don't think it's the greatest hole in disc golf, but at the <laughs> same time, it's caused some of the greatest moments in disc golf, especially when it comes to the, well, obviously the USDGC, but the final round. <clears throat> right. Um, I'm going to quote, well, I'm going to try and quote uh, Jeff Spring whenever I said this. You know, it doesn't really matter if the person that is messing up, if you like that person or not, people like drama. Mm -hmm. So 17, hole 17 is made for drama mm -hmm. just because the hole itself sets up for it. The rules around the hole set up for it, um, you know. The way for everyone out there who doesn't know how it's played as far as the rules, you have to come to rest on the island. But if you don't, you have to keep throwing until you land on the island. So you go one, three, five, seven. After seven, you can play it from the drop zone on the island. And what's the drop zone to the island at that point? Like 150 feet? Do you do you know how far the distance is? Um don't like could, i thought it was on the island could someone yeah <laughs> well could someone oh is it drop zone so there's diff there's different i, I thought think that was the, the layup fpo so. plays Maybe different i think so Maybe, let me yeah. let me ask what do you think <laughs> is this mean to do or did you not watch it back uh what do you think about what happened to calvin did you did you watch that back and see what happened to him when he, on the final round when he's putting i didn't watch it until maybe a, a couple weeks after uh, somebody showed me the video, but I had heard what happened. And honestly, that sucks. Yeah. You, you hate to see that happen, but I kind of, I kind of understand that. I kind of know how he feels mm -hmm. because, uh, what happened to me at Ledgestone a couple of years ago? <clears throat> what, what was that at Ledgestone? 
So uh, I was battling with Nate Sexton, and it came down to hole 18. I think he had me by a stroke, but I threw a good drive. I threw a good sidearm up shot, and it skipped up above the basket maybe 25 to 30 feet at the most, Mm -hmm. but it rolled, and it rolled to the basket, rolled past the basket, all the way down into the water. Oh, no. And, I mean, just that one shot took away any chance for a win, even though I was only one stroke behind. Yeah. Okay, so going back to the final round, it it was pouring, like – literally the rainiest rain I've ever seen, at least at a major, probably for sure. Um, (laughs) what were you thinking when that rain was taking place? So yeah, that, that was probably the hardest rain I'd ever played in, but, um, you know, there was one tournament where I played in a, a more constant rain. Uh, we started 27 whole round and it rained from the first tee to the very last putt and it wasn't it wasn't a light rain it was a decently hard rain but as far as the hardest rain absolutely uh last round the usdtc so was there any way to prepare for that like you guys obviously knew that it was going to rain you brought umbrellas you brought your raincoats and everything like that but did you bring enough towels did you feel like your hands were at all dry or anything like that um (laughs) There were times I felt like my hands were dry. Um, I think so. I, I had a second towel in my bag, and um, I kept it in a in a plastic bag so it wouldn't get wet. Mm-hmm. I think on hole nine, on the tee pad of hole nine, I decided to finally use the other towel instead of, you know, trying to get the disc almost dry with the uh, the with the one I had been using. So you're saying you won the 2020 USDGC in the final round with two towels in the worst rain that two, we've seen at a major? Two, yeah, two towels total. So, um, late, they are, yeah. you know, pretty big towels, but <laughs> like not the normal small USDG, or yeah. not US, um, disc golf hand towels. I, so like, is there, a, like, do we need to shout this brand out? Does everyone in the disc golf world need to know what <laughs> towel this is? It's like are a you, towel. Do you have a paid sponsorship with them that we can just shout them out? <laughs> I don't. No. Um, however, I don't even know. It's not even a name brand. Go to Walmart. Yeah, gonna... Go to the towels. <laughs> That's I'll, it. The best. I swear, the best towels that I've ever used are like the old towels that we use. You know, oh yeah, for the like old showering ones. and yeah. stuff like that. When they've gotten like paint on them, yeah, and stuff like they're just all ready towels, yep. but they're incredible for drying off discs. So kudos to you. Two towels. It's so funny. I, I've been to so many tournaments in the rain at this point to where. You have some players who carry one towel or they're wearing shorts. You have those kind of players, but then you have some who are just 25 towels. Every single one of them's in a separate Ziploc bag and they're yeah. trying to stay as dry That's as me. <laughs> That's me. So, Uh-oh. so Chris, tell us, cause when I interviewed you at MVP, literally while you were warming up for OTV skins, um, I, mm-hmm. I asked you questions for our show. We did a two truths and a lie segment, which you were a part of. And, uh, we did judge that disc golfer, but the two truths and a lie we asked um, you a question, and you said one of the truths was that you received scholarships in college, I think, for two different sports, and that was the truth. Can you tell us uh, what two sports were those, and um, how did you end up choosing disc golf? <laughs> yeah, so um, <clears throat> first, uh, I tried to get a scholarship closer to home and uh, see how far you know soccer would take me, but... Um, 
it was a it was a smaller school. Um, I think it might have been an NAIA school, um, but they offered ten thousand dollars per year to go to their school, and tuition was I want to say it was at least thirty thousand. So my immediately thought was twenty thousand a year to go. That's okay. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Um, the the other option I had was actually um, uh, football. I was a kicker in high school, and uh, I'd gotten quite a few offers from a bunch of different schools because of a um, a uh, a scout that helped me get my name out there, send my um, I, I don't even know what you call them. They're just like uh, highlight videos mm-hmm. to uh, different colleges and stuff like that. But I went there for about a month or so and decided uh, I couldn't really decide on a major and uh, something that, you know, I wanted to do after I got done with college. So I ended up dropping out, going back home and um, going to a, a technical school for automotive. And that's kind of when uh, disc golf picked up. I started playing before uh, I started all, the, all this college stuff, but I wasn't serious about it. Yeah, I was just about to ask, kind of when did your disc golf career start? Or I should say, when did you start playing disc golf? And then when did your disc golf career start? The very first time I played disc golf, I think, was 2011. But um, I graduated in 2012 and went on that um, small journey and then came back to disc golf in, I think, maybe 2013 or 14. Nice. Okay, so people have said about you, and I don't know what you hear and what you don't hear, but people have said that like you you don't travel very much for disc golf. But it seems to me as it seems to me as if like the last year or two, like I don't know that that statement is fair anymore. I feel like I do see you travel a lot. Um, why did people used to say that? Do you think? And do you think it's still true? If it is true. Um. The reason people would say that is because I didn't go to the West Coast, and I still see those comments about not traveling a lot um, for the same reason. I, I don't go to the West Coast. I just don't think disc golf has enough money in it to really make it worthwhile. Mm. Yet. So, um, yeah, go on. Right, yet. But no, um, <clears throat> I, I specifically remember this year um, playing – uh, the Great Lakes Open and getting second. Um, I think it was Idlewild after that, getting third, and then Ledgestone getting third. Or I, I could have switched those and been second, third, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished in the top five at all three of those within, I think it was within a month. And there were still comments of, you know, I wish he would play these bigger tournaments. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, I don't get it. Yeah. I, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially towards kind of like the middle to the end of the season. But I think at this point, there's right. so many disc golf fans out there and obviously fans of yours to where people are so like ready for the next Joe Mez episode to come out at that said tournament, like say Santa Cruz Master Cup or, you know, Beaver State Fling. And when they don't see their favorite pro out there, it's kind of like, oh man, why isn't he traveling? Why isn't he at this event? Why isn't he at that one? And Chris is like, well, I'm just shooting. 17 down at the local a tier 
you know, get my money's worth. So, <laughs> but you did. Yeah, see, that, that's kind of my thinking behind it is uh, I could travel to the West Coast and, you know, play against, you know, the, the top players. And I would have to get top five to make somewhat close to what I would if I were to play a, a somewhat big B tier or an A tier. Um, not close to home, but just in the general five hours or so. Yeah. Is that kind of where do you limit yourself? I shouldn't say that because you tour most of the country, well, most of the East Coast at this point. But if you're playing, say, a local tournament that you're missing a big one, what's kind of your limit? Like, yeah, I'll just go ahead and drive to that tournament or whatever. Do you ever fly to tournaments? I don't fly to tournaments. I've never uh, flown before. So, honestly, I I feel like that's a uh, uh, a fear of mine is mm. heights. So, so you you've never flown in general? No, Matt, never. That's, that's another Nick and Matt show exclusive. We just got out of Chris Dickerson. <laughs> is he has never flown, and I think that's why never. Dang, but yeah. I can remember so cool. and so not, you just drive everywhere. That's insane. Yeah. Not the, and do you drive in a, a van and like sleep there? Or do you get Airbnbs or how does that work? What kind of disc golfer are you? <laughs> so, uh, here lately I've been traveling with my wife in our, uh, truck and camper. So we'll go stay at, uh, campgrounds and stuff like that. Okay. So here's, let's get into a little bit more of the, the, the so we talked USDGC a little bit. Can you just real quick in wrapping that up? Because I don't think we asked this question. I saw it live. Um, what can you explain the feeling literally walking up to that last putt? Because I'm trying to put myself in that scenario. That feeling, like literally, <clears throat> what was it? And um, if there was a feeling, <laughs> and then when you actually hit the putt, what that feeling was. So that both of those. Oh, uh, there absolutely was a feeling. And, um, it started well before the putt. Um, it actually, I would say it really started to set in on hole 17 after I threw my drive and landed on the island. It, it kind of set in that, you know, this is a very good possibility. All you've got to do is keep it in bounds on 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, my strategy on 18, after I saw I had a, um, a two stroke lead so I could bogey the hole was mm. just to throw a putter four times and then tap it in. What putter did um, you throw? Do what? What putter did you throw? It was a 300 PA one. Nice. And just kept throwing that it over was, and over uh, and over. Yeah. The base plastic where it's uh, grippy. Um, I didn't want to take any chances with, you know, there being any water whatsoever on it. So, mm -hmm. I don't think any of those shots were over 250 feet and you know, you know how easy it is to throw a putter around 150 to 200 feet yeah. in the wide open. Well, I say that, but there, you know, there's OB, yeah. but you don't really have to shape a shot. Um, it was the most stressful four throws <laughs> that I've ever thrown under 200 feet. Was your, cool. was your heart, was your heart pounding? Because I'm thinking how that happens to me at tournaments and I'm not playing for a U.S. title. Like, was your heart pounding or was it just like, what was going on? You said stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, just thinking about back to it kind of gets my heart rate up a little bit. <laughs> um, 
I'll say it's a very stressful moment, but at the same time, you know, whenever you get through those moments, you get to look back on them and, you know, see the, the other side of it kind of. Mm, yeah. Okay. So is that like a, obviously you won the tournament obviously you say, yeah, I would totally win that tournament again. But was that feeling like, was it sickening to you or was it kind of like, how did you overcome that feeling in a sense? Cause we had Haley on the show recently and she's like, nah, I didn't really feel any jitters. I was just kind of like, yeah, I made that putt. What's up? But then other people are like, dude, I can't like my, my body shakes if I'm in that kind of position, especially to win a tournament. Yeah. Um, I think to everybody, they, they see it a little bit differently or they feel it a little bit differently. Um, I can't lie. I was definitely nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, walking hole 18, uh, I threw the first shot. I walked up the fairway to see, you know, where the biggest part of the, uh, the next part of the fairway I wanted to land on was. And walking back down that hill, I remember just a specific feeling. I was like, wow, my legs are really tired. <laughs> and I've, I've never felt that way during a disc golf tournament before. Yeah. So obviously, uh, after a four round tournament, on a, on a course like that where you're spending close to four hours, if not more out there, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're going to be a little tired, but I had never felt it that way. And I'm sure that the nerves were definitely a huge part of that. Oh yeah. How do you, how do you prepare for a tournament like that? Like what is your, do you arrive into town two weeks early, practice a course every day, every other day? How do you, how do you prepare? And how many plaid shirts do you lay out? Uh, for that weekend, I had two plaid shirts. Nice. Very nice. However, um, the orange one, I, I want to hang up, never have to wear it again. But my wife hates that idea. She's like, you're only going to wear it once. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but no, as far as preparation, uh, if it were any other year, I would have Rock Hill's only three hours for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have went down there maybe a couple of weeks early to practice the course for a day or two and then come home and then get down there on maybe Sunday beforehand. So I would have Sunday, uh, the second half of Monday after qualifying mm -hmm. and Tuesday to practice. But this year with uh, Corona messing up a lot of tournaments, um, the Jonesboro Open had to be rescheduled to the weekend before and I'm glad that they made that tournament instead of a three day Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they made it a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh yeah. And that's a great idea. I didn't even realize yeah, that. So I played in Jonesboro. We left on Saturday night, drove through the night, got home around three in the morning. I woke up at I wanna say seven uh, to get to Rock Hill. Uh, Sunday morning around 10 or 11 o'clock. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you're, you're a Tennessee guy, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you play? So obviously you play a ton of local tournaments. Like is everything, all the tournaments, B tiers, A tiers that you play, they usually within like a three hour stretch of you. Um, as far as B and C tiers. Yeah. yeah. They they're within um, a very 
close proximity. Nice. I mean, I'm usually B and C tiers don't have that much money added. So, uh, going back to almost uh, similar to the West Coast stuff, why travel further whenever there's less money? Mm-hmm. Right. No, it makes sense. Totally. <laughs> so let's talk about money because the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship put up huge purse, the largest purse ever in the history of disc golf, largest ever. Like I think it was what hundred and almost hundred thirty thousand somewhere in there. Twenty thousand dollars for first place is what they came out to. Ten thousand for second, so on and so forth. You took second place. We can talk through a little bit about that round going into the pressures you had, but that has to be the biggest paycheck you've ever taken for second place. Correct me if I'm wrong. Absolutely. It's uh, not even close. So did it feel a little confusing when you're like, I just took 10 grand and I didn't win? (laughs) It did. Um, You know, I I was very upset with how I finished on – the green of 17 and then how I played hole 18. But I kept thinking to myself, you know, that's $10,000. So it's hard to get upset with that. True. And, um, it is true. And then you think to yourself, but that was also a, you know, $10,000 putt as well. Like I've never done a putt for that in my life. So, um, on hole 17 and you do not have to talk about it, but Mike, my thought process is, you are pretty, I don't want to say automatic, but it depends, you know, inside circle. We've talked about that before you and me inside the circle, outside the circle. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, do you mind telling like, what do you think happened there? You talked about nerves in USDGC. Were you feeling those nerves to where you totally aired it? Is that what happened? Or was it literally surprised to you? Like, I don't know what happened. It, it surprised me. I'll say that I felt good about my putting the week before at USDGC mm-hmm. and I felt pretty good going into the pro tour, but I noticed on uh, Saturday and Sunday that I played that there was something a little off with my putt. And uh, I think, I think it was on Saturday where I'd putted a couple into the band. So it was like I was lifting them a little bit higher. So it felt more of like a, push putt than it was a spin putt and um that's kind of what happened on hole 17 was for for whatever reason my body wanted to do one thing and my mind was thinking another so uh whenever it came out of my hand it felt like an awful putt Hmm. and i immediately knew i i'd kind of came up on the putt instead of more out Mm -hmm. and I went back after the tournament was over and made at least two putts from there pretty easily. Yeah. And Mm. (laughs) yeah, but I didn't feel like I lost it on 17. I definitely lost it on 18. Yep. Right. So walk us through that because I, I feel, and this is my perspective again, I feel like, and thank you for sharing that about 17. It was just interesting for us fans to hear that. Um, what was it, what was it on hole 18? Because again, I'm watching live and I'm a fan of the sport. I'm a fan of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, as I walk up to hole 18, what I would do, and I'm sure you had again with, with that situation that just happened on 17, you had in your head, what, what, what did you have in your head? What was your goal there going into 18? Going into 18, um, obviously looking for a birdie just because, you know, if, if Kevin were to birdie, that ties us and we, we go to a playoff. If he doesn't, then, uh, I win by one. So going into that, 
Um, I threw the same disc that I threw on that hole last year that uh, I'd birdied it four rounds in a row. And uh, this disc wasn't in my bag the entire year, so it didn't get broken in enough to where it would start to fly under stable. But obviously, it wasn't a great throw by me. I'm not going to completely blame, blame it on the disc, but I don't think it should have turned over as much as it should. So the only thing I can blame it on was I think the disc was just the right amount of broken in to where it started to turn when I was still thinking, you know, this disc is going to want to stay straight. Gotcha. And after your first throw, you end up in the woods on the right. And from what it looked like on the camera view, it was absolute jail. Was there any yep. sort of kind of like, were you pretty much just poking hoping at that point? Or was there a potential line that you were looking at that you might be able to get through? So the line I ended up going for was the closest thing I had to uh, to an opening. And it was still, it had a few um, smaller vines and limbs in it. Uh, I was going for a thumber kind of high to get it to pan toward the basket just a little bit, basically to get out, try and get inside the circle and have a putt. Even if it was an outside the circle putt, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that was the highest percentage I had looking at uh, everything from where I was at. Man, you still gave it, I mean, in your head, you obviously went for it on 18. Um, It didn't play out how you wanted. You walk away with $10,000. Did you feel like there was an added pressure going into the the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship having won it and possibly having a three-peat? I mean, super incredibly close. I mean, was that in your head at all during the round or was it not? Um, maybe just a little bit before the rounds, Yeah. Uh, before the round on Saturday, before the round on Sunday. But uh, once the round started going, uh, the only thing I was really worried about was playing as good as I could. Mm-hmm. So the USDGC wraps up and, uh, and I, I jumped back to USDGC because in between there and the disc golf pro tour championship, you had made a post and this is obviously, I wouldn't ask you this if you didn't make it publicly, but I don't want to put you on the spot either about anxiety. And I can tell you if I'm going to try to relate with you, I definitely deal with that to where I actually have gone. And it sounds, it sounds interesting every time I say it to get professional help. And I have, and, and I still deal with it. And it's something that, um, I related to you. And I think if, 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 if I saw what I saw, thousands of people related to you, um, you have an opportunity to, you know, connect with people on a different level than just the average person. Um, but you are in a lot of ways dealing with what the average person deals with, obviously. So like, do you mind telling us a little bit? Cause you talked about like not feeling worthy to win. Is that just something that you regularly always, or did it come up during COVID or what do you, do you mind sharing at all about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so as far as, uh, the anxiety, it had not really came up in my life until, um, I went to college for uh, football and that was really the first time that it had, uh, ever came up. And I think that's why I ended up coming home. I remember sitting in class and out of nowhere, just this feeling hit me that told me, uh, you need to go home. So I remember going to the bathroom and trying to calm myself down. And I stayed in there for 
like 10 or 15 minutes and I couldn't do it. So I eventually went back to the classroom, got my stuff, told the teacher I needed to leave and uh, spent basically the rest of the day in uh, the coach's office. Uh, they were trying to say like, hey, you know, you're going to get through this. Um, you don't need to leave. Uh, I remember one thing they told me was, you know, the majority of people that leave and go home don't come back. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. And obviously it did. Um, the second that I got home, I immediately started feeling better. And um, I remember going, getting a, like a physical done and uh, being put on medication for a very short period of time. But um, yeah, after that, I, I had not experienced any anxiety up until this year. Mm. Well, yeah, we definitely, we appreciate you opening up about that on Facebook and then also with Matt opening up about that. And I just kind of want to speak to the audience quick is that professional disc golfers are humans too. And mm. they all, <laughs> I know they get to do something that we are all very jealous of and that we all want to do the same thing, but there are the hardships and the challenges in life that do come about even for professional disc golfers. So I think it's safe to say Matt and I, especially, you know, if any of you guys and girls are any de ever dealing with anything, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to help out in any sort of way that we can. But um, yeah. Okay, so I've got two wrap up questions before we get into judge that disc golfer. I know you got somewhere where to be uh, soon here, so let me ask two of these and see if we, what we can get as an answer. One is, where did uh, where did the nicknames come from that we kind of know about? Like, I think there's Robot Chicken. I think there is. I've seen. Chris Dickenfingers. Uh, I've seen a few different Tenders. ones. What was that? Tenders. Oh, <laughs> not. Yeah, the all, basically all the uh, the nicknames are a big germ special. Nice. Um, you can thank him for every single one of those, except for the limestone laser. How'd that and come about? I know that Nate Sexton has said. Uh, my wife was the originator of that one, but it was him. He he takes full credit for that. Um, yeah. Besides that, I don't I don't know where any of the other ones came from. Besides Nate, with the one and Germ gets the rest. Gotcha. <laughs> big Germ came on our show and was talking about how he got his names. You know, Big Perm, Big Worm, Big Squirm. <laughs> like, so he's into mm -hmm. that stuff. That's cool. So there was that one. And then I also was thinking about um, your wife posted this. And again, it's just the social media, the nature of social media. Uh, I, th I think it's really cool that you have a wife who's so supporting. I know it helps me a lot in my life. That's probably that's the biggest benefit to being married. They can help you. You can try to love them the best you can, but they help you a lot. So must, she must be nice. It is nice, Nick. One day. One day. <laughs> so um, my question is. To that is she had posted something and i think this is the quote directly is you are a rule following goody two shoes so <laughs> now that's nice that she thinks that about you but why do you think she thinks that about you um it's kind of you know deep. I, I don't know any other reason besides you know it, it's true for the most part um i'll, I'll give an example and i'll kind of throw her under the bus at the same time <laughs> we we went to 
a uh, a PDQ. I, I don't remember. I think it might have been Florida. But we go in, we order our food, and as soon as we sat down, this uh, waitress brings her food out, sets it on the table, and we just started eating. And another waitress brings out the exact same order and said, you know, like, hey, here's your food. And obviously I was like, you know, we, we've already got our food. And she goes, well, I can't really take it back. So here, you can have the rest of it. Is there, is there anything else that, you know, we, we missed or anything like that? And the whole time in line, Brittany was like, I really want this strawberry shake. Ended up not getting it. And whenever she was like, is there anything else that we can get you? She goes, oh, yeah, uh, a chocolate shake. Or, sorry, uh, strawberry shake. And as soon as the waitress walked away, I gave her this look. Like, (laughs) really? You're going to do that? And, I mean, it's just little stuff like that. I, I try my best to, you know, whether it's within the rules of disc golf, within the rules of life just try and you know uh, stay stay between the lines stay on the straight and narrow stuff like that nice nice did is, we is she, is she in the same yeah. room giving you crap right now for telling that story? she is right yeah the whole time i'm trying to tell the story i hear don't stop nice. <laughs> wait so did did she end up getting the strawberry shake though absolutely <laughs> We're all disappointed. <laughs> right? That's all you can be. Yep. No. Disappointment has just said another Nick and Matt show. That's so funny. Well, I think it's awesome. You've shared everything that you shared with us tonight. Um, to respect your time, we're going to jump in to judge that disc golfer so we can we can get this uh, show on the road, if you will. Um, is there anything that I missed that would be really interesting to talk about, Nick, before we do that? You're having a house built? Yeah. Where, are you building it in your local area? Yeah, uh, we are. You know, we've got the frame and everything up. We've got the not the metal roof on it, but we do have a roof on the house. So we're just waiting for the metal roof, the gutters, the siding, and then of course all the stuff that takes place on the inside after they get all that on. Now you're you're obviously quick, real quick. You're a handy person. You do automotive stuff. Are you doing any of the housework? Do you do construction as well? You know, as of now, no. But my initial plan was to, uh, we we were considering building the house during uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know how long the, uh, the layoff was going to last. Uh, we're lucky that it was only like a, a month or a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, my initial plan was to work with... Um, the people there if they would allow me to you know speed the process up a little bit and then i could say you know i helped build this house yeah well, that's pretty cool okay um yeah i'm sure that breaks all kinds of osha regulations <laughs> and a couple anything else like that yeah. but um so yeah. we we've got people kind of screaming at us they want to know a few things and i'm just going to get to one of them you jump putt or step putt as my son i asked my son today my six-year-old what should i ask chris he said, oh, talk, talk about like he's his step putt. I said, jump putt. He goes, no, it's a step putt. <laughs> Six years old. Correcting me. Um, you do that a lot. 
what is it about that that it comes easier to you to do that? Because you've you've alluded to that. And the second thing is, um, do you feel like you are so close to borderline foot faulting every time, or do you think you aren't? Or like, what does that look like for you in your mindset? So the reason I do the step putt in the first place is you are able to build up more momentum to, you know, put it through the disc, make the disc go a little bit further while being on like a, a putting form. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like the step putt and a lot of people don't like jump putting stuff like that. And I have come up with, uh, here lately and it's, this isn't just for me, it's for like all kinds of step putting, jump putting, the further away someone is, I feel like the more likely that it's an illegal putt. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Just because you're getting more of your lower body into it. So more than likely it's, it's either too close to call or, and, and I mean, you know, that puts people in a bad situation. Um, so I'm actually doing something this off season. Uh, I'm, I've already started it and that's whenever I release the putt, my back foot stays on the ground. So, you know, I've, of course I've seen people's comments about, you know, it's too close or mm-hmm. it shouldn't be legal or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to completely mm. eliminate any kind of controversy whatsoever. So as long as I leave my back foot on the ground whenever I putt, I know for a fact 100% of the time that my front foot isn't down. So wow, that blows that conversation out of the water. Very cool. Incredible that yeah, you would – Very cool. That even though you're not saying that you feel like you are gaining an unfair advantage, you're trying to say, I can do it this way as well. That's, I think whatever you decide, I think that's awesome. Thank you for that answer. That was uh, incredible. And I totally appreciate you coming on the show t- and talking about these things that sometimes can be hard to, to answer. And we put you on the spot. <laughs> it's kind of the nature of uh, who and what we do. Um, but sometime when you're back up in the area and there's no COVID, we'll, we'll take you out or something and hang out without the hard questions. Okay. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's judge a disc golfer. We're going to judge a disc golfer. So here it comes. Uh, judge that disc golfer. Judge that disc golfer. The game show where you judge a disc golfer you've never met. All right. My name's Matt. You're on the Nick and Matt show. What's your name? I'm Carrie. All right, Carrie. We just met, but you're out here at Maple Hill enjoying a round of disc golf. We want to get to know you a little bit so you can tell us how long have you been playing disc golf? Um, about eight months now. Eight months. Now, do you usually come to Maple Hill? I don't know. This is maybe my fifth time here, sixth time. Okay. And are you local to Maple Hill then? Yeah, I live out in Western Mass. Okay. Western Mass. Um, do you have a PDGA number? No, but I plan on trying to get one next year. I was just talking to my boyfriend about that. Okay. And have you ever done any competitions before? No, not yet. Okay. So no competitions. No. You've been playing about eight months and you don't have a PDGA number. 
let's figure this out. It might help us to be able to judge you <laughs> a little bit better. Um, you just played what layout today? Uh, the Reds. The Reds. And do you know what your score was? Yeah, plus two. Okay, plus two on the red layout. I think that's pretty good. Yep. All right, so let's get right into it. Carrie, how far can you throw a disc? Ooh, um, the farthest I've recorded is like... Okay, so Chris, I you you were a contestant on this game, so you know it's the same type of questions. Uh, we're gonna let Nick go first, and Nick has to guess how far she answers. And by the way, to everyone that uh, wants to continue to play, I will pull the polling up. Oops, uh, hold on a second here. I got to change it, but go ahead, Nick. Uh, I'm gonna say 240 feet. 240 feet. We've got people guessing right now, playing live in the poll, and they're coming in at 250 to 275. Chris, what do you think she's going to answer? Uh, I'm going to go with E, 275 to 300 feet. 275 to 300. The live polling continues to bounce around, but it looks like right now 250 to 75 is what the fans are guessing. Someone guessed over 400. That's incredible. Uh, all right, let's see what she answers here and see who gets the point. Oh, okay, hold on. I, I'm doing too many things at once, Nick, as always. <laughs> here we go. 310 max. 310 wow. feet. I like it. Okay, Matt, so... Matt, that might be further than you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 310 feet, dude. That is, that is uh, pretty far. That's a crush. Um, so 310 feet is, um, what she answered with. So who gets that point, Nick? Chris gets that point. Okay. So he had, he had the over on me. <laughs> All right. So we are going to go ahead and jump into question number two. Here we go. How many aces do you have? All right. We asked her how many aces do you have and um people are playing along right now and uh for some reason my polling screen is a little weird but they're coming in so you're up this time chris how many aces does she have how many is she going to answer Ooh, okay um playing eight months i'm gonna say she has one ace i'm gonna go two all right Nick says two. It's either zero or two, I'm telling you. But I'm going to go two. All right. The audience is polling right now with the largest percentage, zero, 36% being one. So, all right, let's see um, how this plays out for Carrie. Zero. <laughs> None. Hopefully one one day. <laughs> okay, so that point goes to Chris. I was hoping she would get like a pitch and putt course ace, and that's what I was going for. All right, Nick. So what's this? I was kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one but is a good guess. It's yeah. So one, but it's very safe to go with two because anything two and above, I get yeah. a point. So yeah. yep. kind of had True. to go with that. But I, like I said, I knew it was going to be zero or two. So <laughs> all right, Nick. Chris, so what? Chris is up two to zero. Two to zero. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get into Just question. Good old another week of Nick losing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. Uh, Nick losing. Oh man, my screen. Okay. Here we. Here we go question number three i see that you have some cool tattoo art if you were to get a do you have a disc golf tattoo no okay eight months that'd be pretty serious if you did <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm already thinking about one okay she's thinking about one maybe we can pick your brain on that 
But if you were to get a disc golf tattoo, here's four options. You can either get a single individual basket. You could get a basket with a putter hitting the front rim. We like to call that a doink putt. I, maybe you know what those are. Doink. I think we all do. <laughs> you could get Tasmanian Devil throwing a 360 drive, okay? Or you could get a cool disc golf phrase, something like grip it and rip it, or like death putt. Okay, what would you choose? All right, uh, Nick, Is it, am I correct? You get to guess yeah. first? Yeah, it is me. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with doink putt. Doink. Doink putt. So B. All right. So doink putt is what Nick chooses here. You can see Chris how the live polling is going here. Um, which um tattoo do you think she's gonna answer she would get? She said she's actually thinking about one. I think it is A, the single basket. Okay, so I think there's been a couple of those. A single basket. Right ones. now the live polling is showing forty two percent for the Tasmanian devil, twenty five percent for the single basket. And uh, 17% for both doink and disc golf phrase. Let's see how this plays out for us. If it, if it were to be one with a quote, it'd be a basket and saying, wait for the tree spec. Instead of tree jection, you get tree spec. Okay. okay. So that is, it was kind of a mixture. Yeah. But it's the, it's the disc golf quote, the phrase. So Nick, what's the score? I think Chris is still up two to zero. Did he get that? Did you say phrase on that one? No, no. I, I, I was shaking my head for the single basket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, but that was kind of like, that's kind of like what it was though. She's like, it would be a phrase with a single basket. So it's kind of like so we'll give half a point. Two and a half to yeah, zero. <laughs> half a point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go ahead and get into question four. Wrap this up, pro scene at all. Um, I've been watching a lot of the Pro Tour. Okay, like Jomez and that? Yeah, okay. Jomez Pro. All right, shout out okay. to them. Yeah. Definitely check out that episode. We had them on, really cool insights. Let me ask, if you had to pick a favorite professional disc golfer, whether it's a female or a male, who would it be? Okay, we asked her, um, who would it be? And we got to change the poll here for everybody. So um, what's, who's she going to answer? This is kind of, I put, I did put answers up here. This is the first time I've ever done that. So to our listening audience, I did put up some options um, for them to choose from. So obviously the correct answer is in here. So it kind of narrows it down a little bit. So um, who's answering first here, Nick? Chris's. All right, Chris, out of all the disc golfers we listed, who is she going to say is her favorite? Oh, I'm going to go with the first that I saw pop up on the screen. Uh, Katrina Allen G. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of upset at Matt that he didn't put your name on there. You know, that was kind of rude of him. <laughs> Could have been, at least been nice. <laughs> He's you know. harassing me. But uh, what a guy. Anyways, I'm going to go with Paige. <laughs> Sorry. Nick. I'm going I'm to go with Paige uh, Pierce. <laughs> Nick totally puts me on the spot if I'm feeling bad now. All right. Uh, should have thought that went through a little better. Maybe Here we are having the USDDC champ yeah. on there. You don't even put his name on their favorite pros. Okay, Nick. That's I'm feeling awkward enough nice now. Okay. Paige Pierce, that's my guess. Okay. The <laughs> the um 
<laughs> okay, we're all laughing now. So here's the the Sorry. polling results came in with uh, 31% being the highest to Paige Pierce. The second highest was 23% going to Haley King, and then some others down in the lower percentages. Let's go ahead and see how Carrie answered uh, for this question. Who was that lady that just recently won? Haley King. Like, she was amazing, and she, like, kept her calm. Like, you could even see that she was nervous, but she tried her best, and she did amazing. All right, Haley King. That's, uh, that's awesome. A very, yeah. <laughs> so, Nick, what's the score? Technically two and a half to zero. Two and a half to zero. So, um. Bit, bit of an off week, I guess, for me. <laughs> Okay, so we're coming into the last question here, and um, there's no chance for Nick to win. Well, this one's worth five points. Okay, so. worth five points. Here we go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If and when you do play your first competitive round, and it has to be unfavorable weather conditions, we're talking either heavy rain, really windy, like 20 miles an hour to 30 mile an hour gusts, or snowing with maybe six inches of snow already on the ground. What would you choose for your weather condition? Okay, Nick, who guesses first here? Uh, that's number five. I do. All right. So, sorry, I was distracted by the guy in the background who threw a disc while his buddy was putting. <laughs> I it, was just, it was kind of funny. It was like a little movie in the background. I know. Um, she chooses to play in the wind. I'm going to go with wind. So, uh, yeah. I mean, technically, we could let Chris pick wind if he wants to, but that wouldn't be fun. Uh, Nick can't win anyway. Yeah, so so guess can't. what you think the answer I is, Chris. Win. Which one do you think the answer is? Okay, I'm going for the three and a half points total. <laughs> I'm going to go with Snow because she's from Massachusetts. Everyone thinks that. I swear to God. Okay, Snow. Here we go. The The live polling is saying 42% is uh, wind and uh, 25% is the lowest in the snow. Come on, help me out, chat. Let's see. Um, let's see how it plays out here. Um, let's hear from Carrie. I don't know. I really like the snow and I like to just have Gosh. fun playing this. So I'd probably frolic around in the snow trying to get some baskets in. <laughs> awesome. Carrie, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show. We totally appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. <laughs> thank you. It's still crazy to me that people will play in the snow. <laughs> like, I do competitively for Team Challenge, but ugh, it sucks. You ever play in the snow, Chris? Absolutely. In the winter, we go to uh, Virginia for these uh, unsanctioned tournaments. And every now and then, in you know, December, January, it's going to be a, a pretty good snow in that area. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, is, all you have to do is prepare. Is that the and, Virginia team invitationals? Know, not the team invitationals. That's in March. Oh, okay. Um, these are these are called brawls. Oh, the brawls. Which, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which um, I've been going to for you know three, four, or five years, and I had no idea that it stood for. Uh, I think it's like Bedford Roanoke Area Winter Leagues. Oh, I didn't even know that. I played in a couple of those when I was living right. down in Virginia. Yeah, um, I asked Zach because he's the one who introduced me to those. Mm-hmm. If uh, he knew what it meant, and of course he wasn't going to be like, "No, I have no idea." Yeah, he goes, "Oh yeah, I knew that the whole time. You didn't know that." <laughs> Jeez. Like, oh, thanks for filling me in. Yeah, this whole time. 
Well, anyways, we're at that eight o'clock yeah. mark and we know you are kind of on a little time crunch. So we want to give you kind of a quick, you know, 30, 45 seconds of a shameless plug. Shout out all your sponsors. Where can the people find you and all that fun jazz? How can they support you? Exactly. Uh, let's see. As far as support me, you can go to Prodigy Disc, buy my signature series PA3s and FX2s. I think they're sold out right now, but they should be back on very soon. Okay. Sweet deal. I think uh, we've asked you a lot. You've answered a lot. We had some fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we're definitely going to ask at some point when, when you have big wins and all that. We won't have to come back to these, you know, get to know you questions. We can just get right into all the fun exactly. disc golf talk. <laughs> so we'd love to have you back on the show again sometime. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. Um, and with that, I guess we'll send you out unless you have anything else you want to say. Nope. That's all right. Thank you all for having me. Cool. Thank you, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. See ya. Peace. Okay. So that was, uh, Chris Dickerson, everybody. And that was, uh, that was totally cool. Like I've talked to him one time and it was at the MVP open and he was like putting. And I know the feeling of like a pro standing there, putting, practicing, he was practicing for the, uh, the OTB skins. Okay. Yep. Warming up, I should say. And I was like, just waiting there, sitting in the bleachers, like by myself, like in the morning time. And I'm like, I'm going to interrupt his putting to ask him to be on the show like that. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I totally was that guy. And he just was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I want, I want to do that. Like, I want to be man. in the game. And I'm like, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you. He's like, no, man, like I'm totally down for this. And I'm like, okay, this guy is pretty genuine. Mm -hmm. I've I've heard only the nicest things about Chris, and I think kind of like a cool moment um, that I would say I, I'll share is uh, we were at GMC this past year, you know, a couple months ago, and on Holy Teen, Chris had thrown OB a couple times, and there was two discs that we were looking for, a green one and a blue one, and he was finishing up the fairway. I was walking with Paul, and Paul had asked me, he's like, hey, while we're finishing the hole, can you help out Chris go look for his disc? And I was like, yeah, of course. So I go into the woods, I start looking, and we find the green one like instantly. But then the blue one, I think it probably took just about an hour to find one disc. And there was 20, 25 people at one point all searching around for it. And I ended up finding it. And I was like, everybody stop. I found the Holy Grail. And here it is. And he was just, he was super appreciative. It, it, he was about to give up too. He was like, ah, you know, whatever, it's gone. I was like, nah, dude, you probably need that disc. So like, let's find it. But... <laughs> So that's, that's, that's my claim to fame with Chris at the moment. I think we've had a couple of casual conversations, but for the most part, we just kind of see each other and say hello. Do you know that, um, remember, I think it was last week. Um, why am I having a brain freeze? Our guest was Yuli. Yeah. Do you remember he said, is that, is that Nate Perkins in the background? Yeah. That was her. That was Carrie. Oh, oh <laughs> you were saying that. I remember you saying that. So last they week, messaged us. They, yeah. cause they watched last week's show. Yep. So Carrie, the guest or the participant on judge that disc golfer. Yep. Um, and her boyfriend messaged us after the show last week. And we're like, that is so cool that Yuli thought she was Nate Perkins. Like, we're geeking out over yeah. that right now. Like, it's so fun. That's pretty sweet. So that's totally cool. I think, Chris, honestly, if you did not feel the genuineness from that dude tonight. And can I say this? In some ways, I feel like, I don't want to say it's unfortunate. But in some ways, I feel like it's unfortunate that he feels like he needs to change his putt. I hope it's not the pressure of, like, Oh man, like people are going to keep calling me out. I, I feel like part of me wants to say, if you know, you're not foot faulting, then like, don't worry about it. 
The other part of me goes, he's rising above mm-hmm. any opportunity for criticism. Mm-hmm. And he's going to say, I'm going to make sure. Like, nobody can say that. Like, even if I think I'm not doing it, yeah, I'm not going to make it an opportunity. I think at that point, I kind of just hope that it obviously doesn't mess up. Because yeah. he's, he's such a deadly putter. <laughs> I know. And especially from that, like, 35, 40 feet range, he's such a deadly putter. And so hopefully, you know, kudos to him for doing this big change. But, um, yeah, hopefully it doesn't screw anything up with them well it will be won't it be impressive we'll we'll be able to look back to this show and be like mm-hmm. he talked about changing his putt yeah. like in the off season to what he was such like you said so fire yep and uh to see him win something or back to back that'd be amazing so um so okay someone i'm just gonna bring it up because live chat wants to say and we're actually going to start getting into jump putting that's actually yeah. our next topic which is is it time for jump putting quote unquote to go away um, and I just want to, this one thought here, someone says, when you slow it down, it's, it's easy. It's clear that he was foot faulting. And, um, that is part of the conversation here, Nick. Yeah. How 100%. often are you out on the card when somebody's jump putting and you slow it down in your brain? Well, that's the thing is that you're trying to watch their hand when they release the disc. And you're also trying to watch whatever foot is coming off the ground at a specific time. And so. I think obviously if you slow it down, there are a large majority of people who are potentially foot faulting. Um, I do think that there are people who have found out how to do a putt and actually make it like it's a legal step putt or a legal jump putt. But obviously I can't take my phone, take a video of this guy, watch him putt, slow it down and then say, Oh, by the way, you foot faulted on that. Like you, you just, you can't do that. And so I think honestly, if it's too close to call, at that point, benefit goes to the player. You know, unless it's so beyond blatant, you can't you can't really call it. So I don't think necessarily that we should get rid of jump putting. But if you 100% think that it's a footfall, I mean, tell the guy, say, hey, watch your feet. And then at that point, if you think he keeps foot faulting, then can we, call him on a footfall. Yeah, can we define what a footfall is? So a foot fault there's falling putts, which is all of these are kind of in the same com- conversation. So a footfall would be when your planted foot, your planted foot behind the mini marker, however that happens, whether you're stepping up or whatever, when your planted foot behind the mini marker leaves the ground um, before your putt has left your hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can have the putt out of your hand and your foot then can leave the ground. Assuming you're outside of the 10 meter circle we're talking here, the circle one. Yeah. Um, so a step putt, which is often what you see Chris doing is this delayed kind of deal where his planted foot is there and his other alternate foot, I'm assuming it's his left foot is swinging forwards. Okay. So as if you were to take a step and it's actually out in front of the mini, which is totally acceptable as long as it's not planted on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then it's the push with your planted foot to get that momentum he's talking about. And it's, it's where you got to let go of the disc before your foot comes off the ground. Um, I think you can, someone says every time it's a footfall, every time you jump putt. No, it's not. It, you can slow it down and see yeah. thousands of disc golfers who can jump putt without that being and do the it case. clean. But it also, you can also watch those same thousand disc golf putters and what, and find them another time foot faulting. Mm-hmm. So right. I, I will give that conversation the benefit of the doubt to say, yes, it happens often. But the the rule in the sport here is, one, if you think somebody is trying to deviate from the rules, like trying to, yeah. then that would be a violation of the rules. If they are violating the rules, 
then it comes down to the the game, the card having to call the rule violation. Mm-hmm. And so this was interesting. I saw on another uh, forum, Nick, while we're on this conversation, someone brought up, if you know that nobody's going to really call you on something, um, is it okay to like stretch the rule there? If it's a rule, is it okay? You're like, no one's going to call me on a footfall. Like, let's just say even on a run-up. Yeah, we'll see. If that's so, kind like, of let's your mentality, just go- yeah, then you're cheating. <laughs> just right then and there. But yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying. Okay, so let's take this to... and. And I don't know if I'm going to rile people up. Let's take this to the basketball. You play basketball. Mm-hmm. Isn't it part of the game? And I'm going, to, I'm going to do it in this wording. Part of the game is actually on purpose breaking the rules so you stop the clock. Come on. Okay, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> like if I purposely... You foul on purpose in the last minute or whatever of the game. On that's, purpose. That's not really breaking the rules. It's because fouling... If not, a fouling is not a penalty for breaking the rules, but it's like, it's not really a penalty for breaking the rules. It's a penalty because that's just how the sport is designed. I don't really think that it's technically breaking the rules. And if you foul it, that foul enough times, you get kicked out of the game, right? Yeah. So it's so definitely foul, breaking the rules. You can't foul six times. I think if you foul a seventh time, then yeah, you broke the rules. You broke a rule. That so you cannot why foul. do they stop the clock then when you foul? <laughs> because you broke the rules and the other team gets an opportunity but they're, but they're you know out of bounds stops the <laughs> clock and you know yes but i'm saying why do they get to shoot extra points when you you're technically you are breaking the rules the rules yeah. would say you can't hit somebody's arm right yeah okay so i guess my point is this in basketball this is my point <laughs> i'm interested you know in your feedback here and i'm, yeah. I'm playing hardball in basketball it's intentional i'm going to try to break the rules for my advantage and it's accepted in basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know other sports. I'm not thinking clearly right now to say every other sport that that might happen in. But in disc golf, it's definitely frowned upon. It's, <laughs> it's so, a different sport altogether. Yeah, I guess I'll kind of, let's say I retract what I just said. I guess at that point, in basketball, you're breaking a rule to gain an advantage that will 100% happen. You have gained an advantage by stopping the clock. In disc golf, if you break the rules to gain an advantage, you're technically, if someone calls you on it, you're screwing yourself because now you just lost a stroke. So there's not, mm. there's not enough reward as in, in basketball. Yeah. There are plenty of reasons why, yeah, stopping the clock was very crucial in that moment. But at the same time in disc golf, if you break the rules and you get called on it, it penalizes you more so in disc golf than it would basketball. I think basketball, that's kind of a strategic thing. Well, I, I quickly, can you go back up for a second on the chats just a little bit? I want to shout out Brody, who's in the chat right now. And I think him and I and a bunch of people down in Virginia have always had conversations on the whole jump putting aspect. But I think a little bit further up, he had wrote, easy way is no jump putting. Keep oh, going up, please. Oh, oh, oh. No jump putting inside. So jump putts legal outside of 100 feet. Boom, solved. Um, I agree with that because there are times where I feel like a jump putt is my safer bid to the basket than a forehand or a backhand. I'll just do a jump putt. But like you were saying earlier, the further you get out, the easier it is to potentially footfall because now you're adding so much more energy and so many more body parts and explosiveness that, you know, I feel like I'd get called more on a footfall from 100 feet and out than I would 40 feet and in. You know Interesting I mean? point. So, And I know Chris said that about it's going to be easier to footfall. Yeah. So is the answer and i know so yeah so what brody just said 
But at the same I time, I don't think you, that answers. That doesn't actually fix the problem because now people yeah, are going to be trying from further away. But at the same time, you can't really stop. You ever seen how Paige Shoe sometimes jump putts to where she'll actually, and sometimes Paige Pierce does it too, to where they'll actually walk up to the disc, plant, and then jump into it. Like they'll take a couple steps. It's kind of like the same thing if you're taking an X step from 300 feet away in a wide open fairway. You're taking an X step, X step, your feet are moving, and then you plant your feet, and then sometimes your feet lifts off the ground depending on which way you're twirling at that point. But I think if we were to say, you know, everything has to be a standstill, that's yes. that's the only way that you solve this issue. And I know, I know Brody and I have talked about that before, is to where everyone standstills, except for when you're throwing your first drive on a hole. You have the option on a tee box, a tee area, to move and to actually <laughs> do an next step. But after that, everything's a standstill. Can I say it's super hard? <laughs> I I wish Brody, I, I know you're in the chats. I wish you were on the show right now. We'd have a good time talking uh, back and forth because I'm trying to figure out and answer these questions. And it's obviously tough whether you're on social media or wherever. It's tough too when you try to read the <clears throat> comments the whole time. But here's too. the deal. He, he brings up what's an interesting point, but then I think it's like a slippery slope. He says, who cares? Like if, let's say we move it back to 66 feet or a hundred feet or whatever. Like, so you could Wait, jump can we, can we call Brody in? <laughs> can you, Brody, can you message me your uh, Skype information? I mean, we could. If he wants to come on, yeah, it'd, he, it'd be he, fun. He said, call me in. Oh, he did? Yeah. Yeah. So Brody, real quick, if you can go on Messenger and just send me your Skype info and I'll give it to Matt. Yeah, and I can add them in. So here's what I'm thinking: if we want to continue that conversation, um, I think yeah, I think with Brody we're gonna have to. But okay, so but let me kind of until he gets you that message or whatever to come on. Um, I think it's an interesting point that he says, move it outside of circle two, circle one. Who cares at that point because it's not a big enough advantage, even if you do footfall. Now, the rules would have to change though because the reality is it would be a footfall. So I have to like the rules would have to change to where it's like. I don't know. I mean, the rules of throwing would have to change. So, yeah, <clears throat> it's weird. It's such a slippery, slippery slope. And of course, with disc golf, we hate change in so many different areas. So when we talk about the circle one to circle two and going from there, I, I do think that circle one should be extended to 66 feet. I agree with that. Um, I do agree with Brody's statement. Anything 100 feet and in, you should have to do a standstill on. But I don't know. There's a things down the line that maybe they'll happen in the future, but well, standstill for sure. Okay, so standstill, I thought would be the easy answer. That's why I titled some of this or, or yeah. our discussion points was should is it time for the jump putt to go away? Because in my opinion, that would fix everything. And I would say this: move circle one back to circle two, mm -hmm. and no jump putts. So everything standstill. Um, the pro the problem with that is. If you go standstill, yeah. um, see if you can call into that. Okay, let's see. I'm gonna try to call in Brody here. Um, if if you go to the standstill though, now how does that affect the rules um, for regular throws? Um, how does that affect the rules for regular throws, Nick? Like, so now if you're saying standstills only, doesn't that affect a regular throw? Or yeah. am I wrong? Yeah, well, I, I think like if disc golf was ever to get to that point to where you completely want to eliminate any issue of there being a footfall, besides around the T area, you make everything a standstill. Huh. 
Imagine imagine someone being so wait, 450 so feet wait. down a fairway in the woods and having to stand still because they hit the first available tree. Or so no run-ups. No run-ups. I'm saying no one now, except now for the Now it's a slippery slope. Now, we'll see, now I'm saying, but now you have no way of foot faulting on a second shot. All right. How sick would that be? So I, that would we, be awful. I <laughs> I would be so bad at disc golf. We are, and this is the this is one of the interesting parts of doing a live show. We're, he said he's ready. Okay, so I waved at him. I don't know if he's hearing me. If if it's the right username that I just sent a a wave to. <laughs> yeah, he said he's getting headphones. One sec. Okay, ready. Okay, so if he's seeing that I waved to him, he can either accept it or call us. And if he sees the wave, otherwise, I guess I can try calling oh, right hold now. Hold on. Maybe try, maybe try this one. I almost uh, just said it out loud, and everyone's gonna try to <laughs> Skype them. <laughs> That's I'm like trying to block my screen right it, here, so no. It one allowed this, me, like... yeah. Here, I'll just yeah. punch in mine. So Nick, go on down this live slippery slope we were just talking about. Are we talking about no, uh, no more run-ups? I kind of so hold on. Let me read, let me read a couple of comments. Daniel Willis says yes. Just kill the jump putts altogether. I can agree with you to a point, but Daniel, is there? an area to where people can jump putt as like an approach. Can people do that? When it comes to taking change, it takes someone new to the game like Brody. Brody doesn't mind making waves, even if it's not the popular opinion. I 100% agree with that. And we have Mr. Brody Smith. Yeah, hold on one second. Let me let me get him into... Um... Let me see if my mic is working. Is this... Is my mic on? Yeah, you have... We can hear you. I don't know if your mic's on, but we're hearing you. It's kind of echoey, so maybe it's not using the mic, but we can hear you. Oh. All right, let me try to set this up. Hold on. I never get on the Skype thing. No, I hear you. <laughs> Why do we do Skype? Why don't we do like FaceTime? Is Skype just the easiest one? You got to do Discord. Well, you well, can't Disc- do video on Discord. So, really so okay, now we're getting into technical topics here, and then we'll go right back. A technical topic says that Skype actually is set up for creative, oh, wait, no. creative control kind of where it allows you to uh, do what we're doing. Um, patch directly from the software into our broadcasting software. Yeah, there you go. That's that smooth. That okay. Is yeah. Okay. Okay. So first of all, we've never done it this way. We'd like to give you an official welcome. And I know you're kind of used to doing these kind of shows just like maybe last minute sometimes, but we'd like to welcome onto our show, uh, Brody Smith. Um, yes, the Discraft sponsored professional disc golfer to our show. And so without further ado, we saw you in the, the chats and, uh, kind of give us your quick opinion. We saw the chats, but not everybody heard it because they're listening posts in our podcast, driving around their cars, their airplanes, or whatever. What's your opinion sure. here on jump putting? Uh, well, I, I I think you'd need to just do something to basically make it so players don't have to. The the more that players have to call on other players, um, I think that's a bad thing because no one really likes doing that to begin with. And so I think just eliminating it completely as far as uh, space, how close to the basket you are, it really is only beneficial when you're just right outside the circle and you have people doing the step putt or whatever and it's re- they're releasing the disc after their back foot is off. So just just make it outside of circle two. And then like I said, if you wanna if you want a Michael Jordan free throw line jump from behind your disc, and you think that's going to be effective from 70 feet. I mean, that'd be exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was like, man, I wanted you to come on. And you did. I think I actually agree with that mentality because I feel like it, you're right. Also, you got to make cutting harder, not easier. You're right. And I, so, yeah, I'll 100% agree with that. 
So what what I so I'm agreeing with that, but here's the I don't want to call it a slippery slope, and maybe it's easier it's easier in discussion than it would be being on the rules committee because then at that point, if you say let's move it back, which I'm for, let's move the circle back, make make it harder for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the the advantage you're talking about, I agree, you're far enough away. Who cares if you quote unquote foot fault? But the problem is, how does that affect your regular throwing rule? Because once you're outside of the circle. That technically is a regular throw is what it's considered. And Mm -hmm. so how does that affect at that point if we say we don't care about foot faults? How do you apply that rule to the rest of the throws? Do we not care about foot faults in general? Do we make it like what what do you think? So, I mean, what in what scenario? Give me a scenario that you could do something. I mean, I guess you could theoretically like jump behind your disc to get and then in the air you're flying around a tree to throw yeah. mm-hmm. but like again i think that going back to what nick was saying a little bit earlier before i came on i was talking to some other pros about this idea of um one of the reasons why hornet's nest or any of these other courses are really exciting to watch is the the separation and scores you have a lot of holes that you can see a three or you could see a seven and i think we all saw that Mm -hmm. at the tour championship a lot of these courses unfortunately don't have that ability you're either seeing birdie or par and when you see a bogey it is kind of an anomaly for the top 20 30 players right you go to you go to any u-disc uh, live scoring and you, and you open up and you look at the top 20 guys, there's going to be very few Brown numbers, right? Brown boxes. It's pretty much all white and all green. So for, if I'm putting my viewer cap on and I want to watch, you know, live sports to me, I want to, I, I want to be able to see stuff from the very best and then see people struggle as well in any sport. Um, I don't, I, I, if you, if you know a sport that's exciting to watch where there's only two outcomes every single time, like a par or a birdie, uh, I, I'll say I'm, I'll stand corrected, but pretty much all sports are very like up in the air. You don't know what you're going to be able to, what you're going to expect. So, um, to go back to that, I was talking about right now, there are very, the rules right now are, are set up in a way that are very advantageous for low scoring. And I'm not against low scoring if someone plays really well, but we've seen people shoot 13, 14, 15 under and no one really like bats an eye at it, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of insane because if someone on the PJ Tour shot 14, 15 under, everyone would be going insane, like f- would be freaking out. Yeah. So right now it's like unless you're shooting 18 or 19 under, y- you just had a hot round. You didn't have this a magical round, right? So what what ways can they make it to where disc golf, I guess, would you could par, you could bogey, you could double bogey, you could birdie. And I think one is stroke and distance, right? So you have different types of penalties. So you go, uh, and I know some people are saying it's not golf and uh, I, <laughs> it's, dis, it's disc golf. Yeah. It's literally golf with a disc. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else. We have a lot of the same terminology, a lot of the things well, are the same. And what what I'm trying to say is people like I don't think personally me at least, I don't like watching tournaments where 
everyone's shooting 14 under, 13 under, 12 under. And, the, and then all of a sudden someone has a four shot lead and the tournament's over with three holes left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you know, there's no chance. Okay. So right? am I the only one that doesn't like watching that? No, 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 so, no, no. Yeah. I, go ahead, Matt. Few, a few things. And I appreciate all of your, all of your opinions so far. <laughs> no, they're, they're excellent. Um, I think, yes, I want to see. I want to see score separation. Yes, let's yes. move it. Let's. I'm all for it. That's why we titled it "Jump Putting." Should it go away? I think we should move it back. But here's here's a thought. Um, and I don't know. Have you ever been up to Massachusetts before? Probably Boston. Yeah. Okay. There is a game um, called Candlepin Bowling. Okay, and it's a different version of Ten Pin. It's using smaller balls, and the scores are way different. And people go, I don't like Candlepin because it's harder to get a good score. And I go, it's a different game. And so mm-hmm. and so, what I'm trying to say is, yes, we're the same in the sense of golf. But we are a different version of golf where maybe sure. maybe it is. Maybe it, I'm just throwing out a, an altering opinion here. Maybe it is okay to say a good round in disc golf is to shoot a perfect round. Like, that's a good round. And it, and it can happen more often now. That's that. I'm not saying necessarily that is the best way to attract more people. I'm just saying that's maybe how it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, would it be simple? Would it be simple enough to just push the circle back, keep all the rules the same? I I like the idea. Push it back to circle two. Keep all the rules the same. Right now, still call foot faults the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Does that fix mm-hmm. our problem? I think so because even if someone illegally jump putts from 70 feet, it's not as bad as someone doing it from 34 feet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so it solves the problem as far as someone illegally jump putting, I guess, mm-hmm. but I don't think it necessarily solves the problem of score separation. Mm. And I'll give you an example. All th- me, you and Nick could go to a hole and let's say the hole's 450 feet and we could all throw completely different shots off the tee pad. Someone could throw a really good shot to 20, 29 feet. Someone could throw one to let's say 60 feet and then someone could shank one in the woods and guess what? We're probably all going to get a three. If the person that threw it to 29 feet, it's a bad putter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I, and, yeah. and, and that's the problem is there's not any score separation where, Holy cow, that guy just threw an incredible, like a terrible shot. He, and, and I was talking to Austin Hanum, Hanum about this. What is one of the most common phrases in disc golf? Let's see if you guys can get this. The most common good, phrase. Good, good bid. After after someone throws good a shot. tee shot. What good is, shot. Good shot. Also, what? okay, so maybe it's pro- that's probably one of the top ones. That's a putt, I would say, is also one. Oh, of yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A putt. oh, yeah, dude, that's a putt. Oh, yeah. yeah, don't worry. That's a putt. Oh, don't worry. You got that. You got that putt. What that basically is saying is you can just throw any type of shot on a lot of these holes, and don't worry, man, that's a putt. You're probably going to you're probably gonna get a par. Yeah. And... That's my issue is there is no real separation in first off. There's no real separation. Someone throwing it five feet under the basket and 25 feet. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, there should be more separation there for the top guys. Mm -hmm. And then there's no real separation for someone throwing it. Let's say 35 feet away from the basket and someone throwing it a hundred feet away from the basket. Those, those average player, like average pros are probably going to be making par from the same. So that's, that's kind of where I, I would love to see just the separation. I think you, I see, I think you see those in the courses that are wooded mm-hmm. more, but I think um, just having 
for me, just watching stuff, I love watching it where it's like, holy cow, Kevin Jones literally just took a seven on that hole, mm-hmm. right? And and now all of a sudden you're like, it's going to come down to 18, and 18's not a given, um, a given birdie for everyone. So now you're like, someone could get a birdie, someone get a par, and then you know we we saw some people get bogeys on that hole as well, not that many, but yeah. I don't know. I think that's kind of my thoughts on it. I just want score separation. What, yeah, I think kind viewer. of. I think kind of with the score separation right now is the way courses are designed at the moment. Like, kind of, we've been talking about this whole thing, and the first thing I thought of was, you know, Eagle McMahon at Deglo shot eleven down, eleven down, eleven down, zero bogeys, and it's like, if a has a PGA player ever just gone out murdered a course with shooting no OBs? I mean, excuse me, no bogeys or worse. Like that's insane. But then. He played that so smooth. But we're smooth. not golf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't, like, don't make me lose my train of thought. So, no. Um, but then at USDGC, where you have this wide open course, but you have to litter it with OB and hazards and everything like that to make it an enjoyable show to watch. But then, like Brody's saying, but you go to a wooded course, and now it's a completely different. Like, someone could potentially, say, slip on a tee pad, and they hit the first available, while someone else throws it, 400 feet down a fairway and they're playing a long long par four or par five like northwoods gold i think that's one of the best courses so far that i've ever watched pro players play because that's a course to where no matter how good you are at the sport that course can absolutely destroy you as a person mm-hmm. and as a disc golfer and that's all i've heard from the pro disc golfers that i've talked to about it i cannot wait to go out and play that course one day but yeah i think long wooded courses like that are where we do find a lot of scoring separation. I think other courses that we'll find it at is like at GBO when it's super windy. And you'll yeah. potentially find relying, it. Relying on the weather. Exactly. And going to something that you said, talking about how you can only run up off the tee. Um, I've obviously have had that idea as a potential of we, making we the sport a little bit yeah. more difficult. Uh, I don't know if it would make it more uh, fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah. now's the time that we could potentially have some events that try new try new rules and see, hey, that really worked or that sucked. Um, but I think that also would help kind of, you know, this idea of like, oh, man, this course is really lucky, right? So if someone, let's say, shanks one off the tee pad 100 feet into the woods – and uh, it, it hits and kind of kicks back to the fairway. And then someone else throws pretty much the same exact shot, but it doesn't kick back to the fairway. The person that didn't get kicked back to the fairway, they're probably not going to have a run up and they'll probably not have a really good angle to get the disc up. Right. Mm-hmm. The person that kicked back in the fairway, they're probably still going to make a par because they're wherever they landed. They're probably still going to be able to run up and throw if it's a par three and still be able to get it by the basket. If you make it to where they can't run up, now all of a sudden, you know, that 350-foot shot or, you know, 300-foot shot standstill, now that becomes a lot more difficult. And talking to Austin about this, too, it's funny because you guys are talking a lot of stuff that we were just talking about the other day. He was saying how that would uh, have a big advantage on sidearm players. I was just thinking that in my head. Because you could still sidearm 300, 350, 400 feet standstill. Doing that with a backhand is a little bit more difficult. Agreed. Um, but there might be some times where a sidearm doesn't shape as well as a backhand. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different var- uh, variables there. But I don't know. I, to me, I just think 
I'm always thinking about ways of like, hey, how can the game be more exciting for people mm-hmm. to watch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if you're not thinking that way, then I will say that you're probably on the wrong train because every sport, no matter how long it's been around, no matter how successful it is, is constantly thinking of new ways of making it more exciting. NFL, NBA, soccer, I don't what MLS, mm-hmm. no one really watches that, so they're probably working really hard, but um yeah. you know, every sport, every sport is doing it. So this whole notion of why why do we need to change disc golf? It's because there's going to be some things, there's going to be some ideas that are good and there's going to be some ideas that are bad, but if you never attempt to try to make something better, then you're just going to kind of stay in a rut the whole time. Mm-hmm. So there there was a few comments that came in that I thought were actually worth worth sharing and interesting was one was and is this i haven't even thought it through it just came in was um what about if you jump putt you can jump putt from anywhere as long as you land behind your mini so then you would eliminate foot faults as long as you land now it'd be tough but as long as you Mm. landed in that place um your lie like the little sheet of paper yeah as long as you landed there you could jump run and jump or do whatever you want i kind of want to say something before we answer that is have you ever tried to jump and throw a disc like legitimately oh, yeah, football. It's, it's hard. Yeah, it's awful. There's no you're not gaining an advantage off of it. So the people who do football are doing it so minuscule sometimes, yeah. I think, that mm-hmm. it's like if they were to blatantly like really badly football, that's usually when, you know, say Chris Dickerson footfalls on one of his step putts, he usually misses it for that reason. The times yeah. that he yeah. does have a clean putt. And so like you I, I think so I th- I think so what golf did, and again, disc golf isn't golf. I get it. I understand. Yes. But guess what? It's the, it's the closest sport to it. So what golf did is they took away the anchoring. So players started having really long putters, and they basically would anchor it up against their sternum. I don't know if you guys have seen that, yeah. mm-hmm. but they basically would put it up against their sternum, and then they they just have a nice pendulum motion. And golf was like, okay, that's making putting way too easy. So they basically said that you can't anchor, uh, your, you know, to a third part. And then, and then people started, what they started trying to anchor it on mm-hmm, their forearm. If you look at like how Bryson puts, he has it up, up in his forearm. So it's like attached to his arm. And technically I guess that's not anchoring, even though it's very close to kind of being a third part. Everyone's going to be trying to do stuff to, to make the game easier. And, you know, I don't think sports are, I don't think sports are enjoyable to watch Mm -mm. when it's easy. You know, I would never watch a putt putt tournament Eh. for golf. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I, I wouldn't. Yeah. And maybe you watch it one time, but I don't think putt putt would be something that people would consistently watch. Mm -hmm. So my son loves uh, to watch putt putt on YouTube. That's like one of his favorite channels. I'm like, it's incredible. I mean, whatever. Okay. Yeah. There are some people that have some sick, but those, you watch those for the courses. You don't yes. watch those necessarily for the players. Good point. Um, <laughs> to see what see what courses you need to go so when you travel. Comparing there. golf, but yeah, you I ready? think I think just taking away the step putt would be basically making it so people like or or the jump putt, whatever. Those people that are really really good at it, it would just make putting more difficult. I think that's kind of the idea, and I don't think anyone's purposely cheating. I think it just would make it more difficult for those players. I, I really like the comment someone just put in Daniel Willis. He always comments to us, but he says, I don't think the rule it's the rules that are making the game too easy. It's the courses. And I want to say, I agree with that 
to a very, very large extent. I do think that there are courses out on Except the road. for OB. What's that? Except for OB. Yeah, 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 yeah. The OB rule compared to, I know you were always saying that in golf it's different. I don't know golf rules all that well, but... Well, they they need to have they need to have strategic OB that is stroke and distance, and then they need to have hazards mm-hmm. that... Just how USDGC had it, where sometimes if you land in it, it's a stroke and you play from that spot. Um, and then other times if you go OB, it's a straight up retee. And I think we saw a lot of guys have to think about a lot of shots. And I don't think we really see that at a lot of, a lot of tournaments. A lot of times guys just step up and they throw and there's not much decision-making. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious of like, if I throw a good shot, I'm going to get a birdie. If I throw a bad shot, it's going to go OB. And I'm going to have a 30 footer for par. Yeah. Versus, you know, if I go OB, I'm literally reteeing, you know, and that's my whole point about stroke and distance. Hole 17 is not, if you look at it, it's not one of the hardest holes on the court, on, on, on the tour from what I've talked about with other guys. If you remove the stroke and distance for USDGC, right? for USDGC, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The, the actual shot that is required, mm-hmm. if you remove the drama of, 17 major if you remove the stroke and distance it is a stock forehand for a lot of people yep. or it's a putter shot for a lot of people back in 200 you know what, 220 feet just about yeah right it's the stroke and distance what makes it hard because mm. you stand up there and you realize if i don't throw this in this area i have to re-tee mm-hmm. that's the that's the main reason i would say why that sh- why that whole place so difficult is because the mental aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And and it makes it ex- and to your point, it makes it exciting to yeah. watch. I mean, it, it can be yeah. it can also be frustrating too. You're kind of like I just saw a guy get ripped off because whatever, but like it adds that element of excitement for sure. Off, though. Yeah. Okay, so you threw, you threw the shots though. How did he get ripped off? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, so I, I, you hear people talk about a course playing unfair. Um, let's talk about like, I, we don't need to go down this road, but like GBO or something else or, or pick preserve. No, not preserve. That has very little OB. Yeah. Like people, Eureka. Anyways, what about this idea for putting? Now, it, again, I'm going to compare this to golf, if you will, because that's what we are, the sport of golf, but we don't have to change it this way. But like on a actual golf course where you're hitting a ball with a club, uh, the um, the greens, they are all different sizes. They're mm-hmm. all different shapes. They, they have different, you know, you've played, you've played professional golf. They have all different slopes and angles and the whole changes where it is. Someone had this comment earlier. Um, I think it was when we posted that Chris Dickerson was coming on the show. They said, what if a course designer could actually design the putting area for a disc golf course. Now let that sink in for a second. That's really interesting. Why couldn't they say in this section over here, you can be 10 feet from the basket, but you're like on a cliff edge, like, so whatever, but out over here, 120 feet, that's too easy. So like, we're going to push it back. Like the green would be painted out however they wanted it to be. And it'd be like a golf course. What do you think about that? Oh, so it's not necessarily circle one. It's just, it would be considered not circle, but we could call it putting one or something like they can determine what they want it to look like. What is the advantage of being in, in it versus out of it? Well, you could have the same rule, same rules, but like the, the putting area, we could call it, if you will, could be in a very thick tree bush area. It might be closer to the basket than if it's wide open. They might say no, the putting. Oh, but there's no rule difference. You're just saying area. Let's get some, let's get some more interesting greens yeah so you don't 
Yeah. Always circle I'm, one, circle I'm, two. I'm a hundred percent for it because right now we have we have a free throw situation where you know guys are throwing shots mm. and um you know Austin I'll, I'll keep going back to Austin because we literally were just talking about that. He was saying I don't know what tournament he was talking about, but he was saying there was a final nine or something that he was in, and fans would li- literally start running to the next hole before everyone putted out because the putts were 20 feet, 25 feet, yeah. 23 feet. They all knew that they were going to be made. So they're already running. They're not paying attention. And again, I'll go back to golf. I don't think anything outside of three feet, even sometimes three, a three footer in golf, if, it, if the slope is, if it's downhill or if it's like a left to right, a three footer in golf is not guaranteed. So I'm 100% for setting up greens to where people aren't consistently having to putt the same way. Interesting. And mm-hmm. whether that whether that's adjusting the height of the basket a little bit to where it's, okay, this one's a little bit lower, this one's a little bit higher, so it's, again, not the same. Or, like you were saying, adjusting the the kind of terrain around. I was, I'm super for even the idea of like having some holes have like moguls, like little bumps and, mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff around mm-hmm. to where now we, everyone has been there where you have a 25 footer, you set up, you're like, I'm going to cash this in. And then you, you know, get ready. And then your left foot is like on a route and you're yeah. like, what? And then you start thinking to yourself like, okay, can I just putt through this? Do I have to go straddle? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so now you're second guessing yourself. You're like, it's not going to bother <laughs> me. And you just putt and you miss. And the reason you miss is because there was a root underneath your left foot, right? We've all been there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, can we manufacture that to where now someone throwing a five-foot shot, that means a lot more because now you – that is the tap-in, five feet. But now someone throwing it to 20 feet, like you were saying, you can set it up where, hey, if you throw it right of the basket on this hole, you're dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and it kind of goes to what you were saying, like, uh, oh man, like I was unlucky or whatever. Like you threw that shot there. So unless you didn't prepare and didn't realize that if you throw right of the basket, you don't have a putt, like you threw that shot there. It's not unlucky that you threw a bad shot. And I, I, I talk about golf. When have you ever heard a golfer get up to their ball and go, oh my God, my ball's in this bunker. What the (laughs) heck? It's like, you knew the bunker was there. You yeah. hit your shot in the bunker. So now you have to, you know, now you have to, uh, sack, you know, deal with the outcome that you have to try to get up and down versus hitting to the right side of the green to where you give yourself a putt. I do like the idea of, like we were saying, the moguls inside the t- uh, the green area, um, especially inside of a certain footage. One thing that I do not want to see in disc golf is more of like what they use at USDGC, those little pillars in front of the five feet. I don't. I'm not a fan of that. I think every so often there's a course that you'll have a a basket inside of like a spider tree. And every so often that's like, hey, yeah, it's kind of aesthetically cool. I like that. But when you're playing a top level event and you have a couple holes to where there's literally these four pillars five feet from the basket, like I just think that's really poor design. So I don't want to see course designers kind of like either put up stuff like that or put baskets right next to trees. I kind of find that frustrating when you're kind of like, Hey, well, I like it next to trees, though, if it's if it's in a way to where it's only accessible because like right now for most holes, 
Okay, you have the circle, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just look at it like as a like as a pie like a pie chart, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, the a lot of times the basket's right in the middle of the pie chart, and for a lot of these holes, if you land it anywhere in the pie chart, you're good. You have a putt. Mm -hmm. I would love to see where it's like actually you have to land it in this 50 50% quadrant. And if you land it any of the other 50% quadrant, you don't have a putt. It's a struggle. So that so now your landing zone is a lot smaller. So like for example, like just putting the basket um let's say there's a bunch of trees and stuff behind, mm -hmm. just put the basket, you know, 5 feet from that tree. So everything in front, you're good everything behind you're bad so on your upshot mm -hmm. you now have you now have to land short mm -hmm. you have to play and land short and be more precise because right now i think in disc golf the the, pre the precision of these guys are so good but we're giving them a huge area i mean if you think about it 30 feet 33 feet circle i mean that's a that's a massive area for a lot of people to throw into so it's like how do you make it smaller I, like what? Like how would you feel about playing that hole, Nick? Well, yeah. So I think I like what you're saying, especially when it comes to the preparation of it. Like you need to know where you are trying to land, and if you're in that left side of the pie zone, that's the good side. But if you're on the right side, yeah, it is jail. I think I kind of I like the idea of it, um, especially if it is natural. Like if it's with trees, I, I don't mind yeah. that as bad. I think there are some times where I'll play a casual course, one that more than likely they don't have tournaments or I'm not going to play a tournament there. And I think I get kind of annoyed at the course design when they do have holes set up like that. But I think on the other hand, for a tournament, 99% of the time I am preparing for that tournament by playing rounds and I'm trying to figure out, yes, this is where I want to land to not have a situation like that. I think kind of like what I was saying more so with it is when I do go and play a casual course and I see a hole to where it's like, why is the basket there? That's literally the dumbest spot you could have put it. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I was getting at, but as long as they don't do what USDGC did, I'm totally happy with that. Yeah. It, I mean, you could do, you could do, I'm also a fan of like the bunkers too. When they do play like on golf courses yeah. to where if you land at a bunker, it's a shot plus, uh, plus you having to throw from there. Mm -hmm. Cause when you, you know, when you hit a golf ball in a, a green sign bunker, you know, getting up and down from that is, is what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah. So that would be the sense of like if you throw it 20 feet left of the the basket in a bunker, now you have to make that putt to essentially get up and down because you get that penalty stroke. Um, I like that because again, that's that's necessary. That's kind of making putting harder, if you will, with the idea of you know you didn't throw the perfect shot or not the perfect shot. You didn't throw a good shot. You didn't you didn't lean on the side of safety. You went aggressive, and and again that changes the game too of where people might not be trying to throw underneath the basket anymore. People might be playing out to the side and give themselves a 30 footer to try to make that par. And then Ooh. that gives the, the, gives the ability of people being aggressive or playing safe. Interesting. And yeah. people are going to, people are going to totally like, I don't know our, our live feed numbers have frozen. I don't know how many are here, but people are going crazy right now and they're going to roast me too, but this is okay. What if there was an area where you could not putt from? So like you could be literally three or four feet away from the basket, but you could not putt from there because it was marked out. Like, so like, like, picture, what would you do? You would have, uh, yeah, that's a good question. What would you do? But my point is like, I don't know. You'd have to use a driver. That'd be stupid. But my point is like, it, it was the idea of the golf greens. Again, the shape and design is different. Why mm -hmm. not create areas where it's considered not 
putting. And to your point, so if it's four feet away, yeah, what if we just put a big bush right there? Like literally like four feet to the left of it. Now, some people are going to say, to Nick's point, he didn't like the mozzarella sticks, but like what is okay to put that close to it? Because I think it is cool. Let's force people to throw to a certain area. Uh, What what natural objects? Can we plant bushes? Is that acceptable? Like what are we talking and and good players are going to want that. The yes. better players are going to want that because now they have a better uh, a bigger advantage, you know. And and it's not. And again, that's where you'll see the score separation come in more because right now the score separation is so hard to get, um, especially on a lot of these par three courses where it's literally just you're either birding or making a par. You're never making a bogey. Uh, but I, I think. I think I'm a fan of if you can naturally set it up to where greens are difficult. And I think we've all played courses like that, that have a couple holes at the course where you're like, this is an awesome green, you know, and you know where you need to throw it and where you need to miss it. Um, If you can do that naturally, I think that's great. And if you can't do it naturally, then I think you can do things like, Hey, we're going to make the left side of the green hazard. Mm -hmm. So if you land in it, it's a stroke penalty. There you go. And you, ha- and you have to putt. There you um, go. So that that just real quick, because I think that's probably more what I was thinking. So you can make yeah. a putt from there. But let's say we but made you, it. It's a hazard area right to the side of it, whether it's five, six, seven feet, however you want to design that hole. I love that. Yeah. And I think I think, too, like if you have penalty areas around the basket, they need to either be hazard or they need to be OB that's stroke and distance. This, this notion that you can just chuck a disc 150 feet away from the basket, but it went over OB 30 feet away from the basket. And then you have a putt for par. Mm. I think, I think that needs to kind of go away mm-hmm. because again, there's no score separation there. Yeah. You can have people, you can have people spray all sorts of different types of shots and you're not really rewarding the people that threw good shots. So right. you you saw the USDGC in previous years, I'm guessing, or you went back and watched, but that's how I've it always seen, was. I've seen a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how it always was. And I think, honestly, that's what separated that event in a lot of ways. It was big separator course. So. Yeah, I think I think it's tough, especially like what Brody's saying, is when you're playing a course, like say a par three, and you do have OB close, like that person who threw it OB long in the basket, they're going to take a three. So the person on their card, another person, either parks it or threw it 30 feet short, missed the putt, and they're getting the same score. But one guy went out of bounds, you know, was penalized with an OB stroke, but still pretty much had a drop in three. So I don't think, like, if you if you go OB, you should be penalized more so than what it is right now in disc golf. Um, but that also, same thing, it kind of roots back to course design in a sense. I think it's really hard to make a birdie. It's not that hard to make a par, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what, what can we do to make it harder to get a par, I think is what needs to happen. Yeah. Because you need to reward the people that get a birdie way more than what is being, what is happening right now. Because like Nick just said, even in that instance, I, I could throw a terrible shot and get a three and Nick could park the hole and get a two and he only got one stroke on me. Mm-hmm. Ma- that, that's not that's not interesting to me watching no and you unfortunately and i'm i don't remember the reasoning why you didn't make it out to maple hill but maple hill in my opinion uh because i sucked and i needed to get home oh. and get better <laughs> <laughs> oh we actually kind of talked about that no i'm kidding we, we uh yeah. we, we're looking forward to it if you make it out next year but i think 
and Nick has said, and I don't, I'm putting words in his mouth. Maple Hill plays soft. It doesn't play soft. I think when you get your birdies, you're yeah, happy I, that you got your birdies. I don't, I don't really think it plays soft. I wouldn't say that because obviously it shredded me this year, but the year before <laughs> that I did okay. But um, no, I think honestly, Maple Hill. Do they do it right? Are the putting areas right? I mean, hole eight, they moved it closer to the water. Hole nine is that peninsula green. Like When I say Maple Hill is soft, I'm meaning that the par is soft. It's a national or a pro tour event with a par 60. That's not the hardest of, like, that's a lot of par threes that are out there. There's no par fives at Maple Hill. It's stuff like that. Isn't it it wild that our par fives are considered hard just because they're par fives, but in golf, a par five is always normally the easiest? Yeah. And the the reason for that is is is, there's more shot. Putting putting is easy in disc golf, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you only have to throw one shot and then you're putting. Par fives, you normally have to throw at least two shots, most of the time three shots. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, see the thing. Know. The thing about par fives, like at a, right at Fox Run on hole number seven, if there's no wind, there's OB on your right and your left. But if you bogey that hole, you kind of screwed up because you can lay up short, lay up again, lay up again, get onto the green, and it's it's a very simple par five when there's no wind to it. And I think. If you're playing open courses like that, the par fives are generally more simple. Think about how hard the par five at Idlewild would be if it was stroke and distance. Is that the, okay, so the, like, hole 15? The one on the backside. Or no, 16. 16, 16 yeah. yeah. Think about how hard that would be if that was stroke and distance. Exactly, because a lot of players, let's say a righty backhand, are throwing these massive hyzers, and if they do land too far to the right and they're out of bounds... So you say off the drive, they're re-teeing. Would that be the stroke and distance yeah. call on that? Yeah. So now that person's yeah. re-teeing. So You're instead throwing of, three. Instead of throwing a max distance, you know, hyzer that they're doing, now they're throwing either, you know, a mid, a fairway, or like a hybrid driver. Just kind of mm-hmm. like more of a layup-ish type shot. And they're not sure. I think that's the stroke and distance, and I think, you, would create and, people not throwing these incredibly hard shots. And not getting, but Paul would. Much. But think about it, Paul would, mm-hmm. right? Because Paul was losing. Yep. At that situation, so that's where it's exciting because now you have risk reward. Yes. Now you have the guys that are like, I need to make a move. I need to throw an incredible shot, and and now we're watching to see like, can he pull this off? And then you have other people that are trying to play safe, which in turn is still not. I mean, playing safe on that hole is still not hard, especially if you go. Uh, if you make OB long of the green, mm-hmm. if you make that stroke and distance, and then you make the creek hazard, right, to where if you land in there, you take you take a stroke and you play from there, basically. Now, all of a sudden, like, that's not an easy five, even if you just go dink, 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 and then try to get it on that green. Mm-hmm. So, to me, like, that's exciting because now Paul pulls off and he goes big on his tee yeah. shot. He makes it. He goes big on his second shot, and he lands it all the way down there. Now he's got a putt for Eagle, and now whoever he was chasing – well, I mean, he was – I guess Eagle was on the chase card at that yeah. point. But, but he was technically you know, chasing Eagle watch, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, yep. I think risk-reward is what really makes a really good hole. Agreed. Yeah. 100%. And that's why the best kind of like finishes that we've seen all year are finishes to where it was a close race up until – the last three holes, like that's when the real battle started was on the last three holes at USDGC. There were multiple tournaments this year, like DDO between Calvin. Calvin shoots this amazingly hot round from the chase card. 
and Paul has mm-hmm. to Paul shoots only two down that round. And so look at what Calvin did to him. Look at the scoring separation in that round when it came to all the OB I love that. and all the wind. Like that was insane. Multiple tournaments were like that this year to where there really was um some score separation. But I do like when we talk about courses that are too easy, and it was very fun to watch because it was a battle, but the preserve was a course where everyone was shooting what 14, 15, 16 down. I think it was something like that. It did have one of the greatest finishes this year. Congrats to Nico, obviously getting his first big win in a really long time. That was fun to watch, but at the same time, all you're seeing on UDisc Live is just blue numbers, blue and dark blue. You're not really seeing any orange, dark orange, or anything like that. Okay, can I? This is a quick pause because now we've got Simon Lazat in the chat bringing up some points, and I think it's only fair to bring up his points. He says a sport should strive to have good execution be rewarded in bad execution, be punished. Most popular sports have that. In disc golf, this is way out of proportion. That's the problem with most courses, and that's kind of what you just brought up, Nick, is the preserve. We liked seeing the battle because everybody was able to be rewarded when they threw good shots, and it didn't seem gimmicky. Now, to that point, I do want to give one shout-out real quick. It would be remiss not to super chat out there yeah, saying there check, out, them, um, yeah. check out the idea of smaller baskets, Brody. You've shared some opinions on making it harder or more exciting. You've, you're newer to the sport. This has been around for a while. I'd say the last few years, the conversation. Steve Dodge formed a committee, if you will, to even talk about this at one point, um, was the idea of should we shrink the basket size? Now, we've talked about a whole bu- a bunch of other ideas, but what would shrinking the basket size do, in your opinion? Should we do both things? I think, I think if you're going to shrink it, you'd have to shrink the height not the width. Mm. Gotcha. Because mo- if you, a couple reasons. One, most, most pros miss high or low. Mm-hmm. You very rarely see them miss left or right. So shrinking it, shrinking it down would make more misses. Um, and then I think if you were to shrink the width, you would see more spit outs, which is one of the worst things I think disc golf has. Yeah. But how do you for viewers? Yeah, how do you fix spit outs though? I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Oh, you but, don't. Yeah. No, spit outs are spit outs. Okay. But like if you if you go down, yes. you're not gonna increase spit outs. If you go uh if you if you bring in the width, there would be more spit outs. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I think I think going down, if if you're going to do anything with the basket size, I think you have to go a little bit down. Yeah. And you if you want to try that. You've talked about it before, you've said it in the past where you like the idea of elevated baskets. And I always say I hate watching well, the memorial because of Vista when you play on nine of them. Like I think I yeah, I don't think you want to have that many. I think naturally elevated baskets, yep. if you can do that, I think that's amazing. I'm playing veterans this weekend, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Simon's played that. I don't know how you not a lot of people like the course, but I will say that. They do have a lot of greens and baskets where they're like on the hills, right? To where, and I think we saw that a little bit at Hornets Nest where they had some of the baskets on these kind of hillsides of where, depending on where your disc lands, your approach shot lands, you might have an up, you know, an, an uphill putt, even though the basket necessarily isn't elevated. Um, but then also talking to Kat, she brought up a good point of, you know, she's, she can't be more than five, five. Yeah. And if she gets, if she throws a good shot and she's five feet under the basket, now all of a sudden that five foot, that should be really a tap in it. That's like a really hard putt Mm -hmm. to like 
throw something straight up like that. Mm -hmm. So a way that you could kind of get around that is if you made like a base around the basket to where if you actually threw a really good shot, you kind of stand up on this base so that you don't have this awkward like throwing a five foot shot, but having to yeah. throw it straight up in the air, especially if it's windy. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of just like, I don't want to see stock putts every single time. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys are too good. I would love to see to where not every 25 footer is guaranteed. And then when someone does miss a, a 25 footer, the response isn't, Oh, that guy choked or, Oh, that guy, whatever. Like, I'll, I'll go back to golf. I think right around three, I think a three footer in golf, I believe it was like somewhere around like 90% on the PGA tour. And then as, as you go to like a four footer, five footer, six footer, like just going barely back, it's, it's massive. I believe almost, I think a six footer is close to 50% on the tour. Um, so right now the best, the bet, the best players, let's say like, cause I think we have what, probably 40 actual pros. How many actual pros do we have in for golf? MPO for MPO? Yeah. Guys that are like consistently doing playing, it. Yeah. I would, yeah. Consistently playing tournaments. I'd say you could probably safely bet 25 to 30. That consistently okay, so at every consistently, tournament. Yeah. Consistently go to every single tournament. I would say maybe 30 to 40, but I touring I, we're talking touring. Yeah. yeah. Talking touring. I, I would say probably yeah, 25 people to 30. That, people that aren't just playing tournaments to try to play with, Paul or Simon yeah. or Calvin people that are actually doing it for a like it's their job. Yeah. So we'll say, yeah, I think that's yeah, a fair, 30, I think 30, that's a fair we'll 30 to 40. We'll say, so, so of those 30 guys, mm -hmm. right. So let's just say like the top, we can also just say the top 30 guys in disc golf, uh, ranking points, their percentage uh, at like 30 feet is still well above 50%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Where a six footer in golf is 50%. Mm -hmm. So my thought is like, how do we get it to where, how do we get it to where like a 20 footer that like at 20 feet, maybe that is the 90%. And then as you go to like 25, it drops significantly to like 80%. And then maybe 30 feet, it drops even more to, to, you know, maybe 30 feet is the 50% where it's like a coin flip of whether or not they make it. I think that would just be more interesting, uh, for viewers to watch because now they're, they're having to watch a lot more shots because yeah. let's be honest, if someone lands it in 20 feet, you know, if you're live, like Austin was saying, people are running to the next hole to try to get a good spot yeah. versus like, I need to watch this 20 footer to see if he makes it. Yeah. So I think we can kind of go back to tougher greens. I think that's one of the biggest things. <laughs> full circle. Yeah, yeah full circle right yeah, back to that. That's is, the easiest way. It's yeah. pretty much tougher greens. And that does stem from course designing. I understand that. And a lot of people have been saying that in the comments is course design, course design, course design. And you got to realize that a lot of these courses that were designed were designed years and years ago before the technology is what it is now in disc golf. You know, especially you play in different parts of the country. Like California has a lot of old school courses here in Massachusetts. And also where the, also where the players are too, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I, go back 15 20 years i doubt those guys are practicing as much as the top guys now oh yeah for sure mm -hmm. eagle eagle mentioned that in our interview with him a couple yeah. months ago yeah like and it's only gonna get it's only gonna keep getting better because right now like you said there's only 30 guys that are probably doing it consistently like what happens when there's a hundred yeah mm -hmm. yeah those 30 guys there's probably a couple of those 
30 people that are probably slacking, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to get kicked out by the 20 guys that are grinding harder than them. Mm-hmm. So as the sport grows, it's, it's only going to get easier and easier if they continue to play the same courses. Yeah. And, and again, I think you need kind of what Simon was saying. You need to make it to where good shots get rewarded, bad shots get penalized, and then that way you have it to where whoever played the best that weekend is going to win a tournament. And that and that's what we want to see. We do want to see the best player win off of playing well and not a fluky outcome and stuff like that. Dude, people in the chats right now are literally... I just have to say, I had to keep switching shots. They're making me laugh so hard. Like, they're they're roasting Brody and me right now. They're saying Nick's the only one who's got things right. But here's the deal. It's false. <laughs> it's super... I, what is what is Nick disagreed with? No, I no, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe what I said about course designing and everything like that. Okay. I, I'm, oh. I might be a favorite. It's the Nick so, and Matt Yeah, the Nick and Matt Show. So, <laughs> I need to okay. people, right people, people, like, people like to hate, so it's fine. I'll take it. They can, they can give it to me. Okay, so what just happened right now is Nick just abandoned me, right? so brody me and you you, it's the brody and matt show now yeah you gotta hold on you gotta hold on for a little bit here i i um i was not expecting nick to round this is the first time that's ever happened so this is like a a a date he just set up he's like bro i gotta go all right so he'll be back so i think your opinions are very interesting and so while you're sitting here we've kind of really went all around on all different ideas so brody in your opinion how does the sport then start to get these changes? It's by conversation, obviously. That's what starts it, the conversation. Um, the PDGA has a rules committee. And like, is it going to be our voice right now talking that's going to bring this conversation to them? Or what do you think? Well, Should I you think, start a committee, I mean, a players committee? I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour is doing a phenomenal job. And I think they are very interested and continuing to improve and continuing to do take steps and doing things differently uh, and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I have complete faith in Todd and Jeff that are basically running that over there. Uh, I've talked to both of them multiple times and they seem like they know exactly uh, what they need to be doing now. And they also are very open to um, new ideas. And I think that's key. I think this notion of, hey, we only, well, two things. First off, I think the idea, if you, it's completely fine to disagree with someone. Yeah. All right. And I think, I think in anything, that's what makes sports so exciting is because the people saying, this is my favorite team or this is the best player or whatever. And everyone disagreeing. If you have everyone agreeing and all everyone like group thinking and doing the same thing, I, I think that's bad. So I think you do need people to just come out and say ideas. And if it sucks, whatever. The The notion, though, that you need to be in a sport for a certain amount of time or you mm. need to be a cer- you, like, oh, you're not you're not a thousand rated. So I don't want to listen to you. <laughs> this whole this whole notion of like we should only take ideas from certain people. I think that's a bad I think that's a bad way of going about it. I think anyone could have a good idea and um I think you I think everyone should be listening and the Disc Golf Pro Tour is doing that. Um I know they're active in Facebook groups that they're just opening conversations and they're reading comments of what fans are saying. So people that might be brand new fans, people that might be not thousand rated, they're listening to everyone and I think that is 
what needs to happen for the sport to continue to grow is listening to a, a big group of ideas and picking and choosing ones that you think might work and going and seeing what happens. So um, to answer your question, you know, I think something that uh, definitely needs to happen is I think the top players uh, definitely need to get together and talk some stuff out and you know, I think there's a lot of easy things that the that the pro tour could do to advance the sport. And I think, you know, there does need to be some you you know, you mentioned like a players um what'd you say? I think there's a committee or I think there actually is a players committee. Someone yeah, Tre- brought it up Tre- in one of our Trevor, chats. Trevor Harbel has brought it up a couple times about the players committee. He commented on it actually our Yuli discussion. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I do know that there is either in the works or there has been in the past a players committee, which I do think there should be in disc golf, especially the way that it's growing. And like Brody was saying, you kind of have your top pros. That is where you get a lot of insight from. And that is obviously these guys know a thing or two about disc golf and these women know a thing or two about disc golf as well to where they do need to have a players association and kind of be in the loop on everything that's going on. But I do want to say that I think the disc golf pro tour, like Brody was saying, is doing incredible things when it comes to like mm. what someone was saying in the chat, um, vetting courses to bring in better venues and everything like that. Who are you allowing to play the event? They've <laughs> set up. Well, I mean, in the sense of ratings, I'm sorry, wise. I'm yeah. sorry. In the Bro, sense of ratings wise, people are just being so freaking funny right now. Yeah. They're like, you want to make it harder? Let's have everyone. <laughs> yeah. Some, have some, everyone yeah. lotion up before they throw. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just it is it is pretty yeah. funny. But like we're being serious here, though. And to yeah. that point, I actually I want to just say this, Brody, and I know you don't need to hear it from me. But when you came into the sport, I was extremely happy because I I didn't know you at all besides, you know, your YouTube stuff. But I knew you bring a voice that said what you thought. And shared your opinions. And I think to people who are commenting and saying, oh, you've been in the sport too short of a time period, absolutely false. And I just wanted to reiterate, because you said it for yourself, but I want to say it for you too. I want to hear any ideas and throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And that's what I'm about. And that's why you and me, and maybe Nick doesn't do it as loudly as us. But like, we all share our opinions. Nick shares his. And I think that it's yeah. super important. And the sport, you're coming into the sport and you must know this at a very unique time in its history. Like it is one of those like big transitioning times you will talk about. So yeah. Welcome to yeah, the sport. I think, I think, <laughs> well, I think that's one of the reasons I'm actually, I actually decided to, to seek a career in it. Um, if the sport was in a different, you know, maybe if the sport was five, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have seeked a career in it. But the way that the sport is growing and, and where it is right now, it's exciting. And I think they're doing a lot of things the right way. And I think they just got to things need to continue to go that way. And and I know, you know, there's going to be people on here listening and stuff. But at, the thing is, is like where the sport is right now, it's so small to where it potentially could be five, ten years from now. So yeah, maybe, maybe the majority, and I don't even know if it is the actual majority of fans of disc golf out there all believe one thing that might ne- not necessarily be where, um, what the majority thinks 10 years from now, yeah. right? As you bring in more and more players, as you bring in more people playing the sport. And that was my whole, that, that was my argument always with ultimate Frisbee is 
ultimate frisbee always wanted to be like if you don't think the way we think about things you're not welcome and my whole notion was if you look at any other sport the reason why all these sports are so successful is they have tons of different leagues and tons of different divisions in the sport. Mm -hmm. There's people out there that play pickup basketball that don't watch the NBA. There's people out there that go and play YMCA basketball leagues and are huge NBA fans, right? There's tons of different people in basketball, but I kind of get this notion that smaller fringe sports love to have this idea of like community. Like this is the, and you hear it a lot, the disc golf community, the disc golf community. I never really heard that in any other sport other than ultimate and disc golf. Mm. Like I played, I played golf, but I never really heard the golf community. Mm-hmm. Right. Or yeah. when I played, when I played, uh, football or any, any other sport, I never really heard like, well, this is what the football community thinks about. And it's cause that doesn't really exist. Cause there's so many different divisions in football. There's people that love college football, hate the NFL. Right. There's people that love the NFL, hate college football. Yeah. So those those people would not necessarily be in the same community. Right. Do you think that you have to lose community to grow the sport? I mean, in in some sense, no, there's going to be there's going to be a local community. Okay. Yeah. Right. But would you would you would you say that LeBron James is in the same basketball community as some random pickup, uh, some random pickup game that happens every Thursday night under the lights at a outdoor park? Yeah. Are they yeah, in the yeah. same basketball community? So, no. And so what you're, but I guess what I'm yeah. trying to, for sake of conversation, are you are you saying then this is a growing pain of where the sport is? Because to this point, it would almost yeah. be called like I don't know if you want to call it the golden age, but like literally, people are able to walk or they used to be able to pre COVID. You'd be able to walk around on the card with Paul Macbeth in the top card and literally talk mm-hmm. to them while they're throwing. Now that's very unique to any pro sport. Is this a growing pain why? that is going to have to leave then? Because like, well, I will, I, I will ask you this question. Why can you do that in disc golf, but you can't do it in any other pro sport? My guess is there's a lot of uh, security issues there at this point because the sport is so big. Um, that'd be my guess. But, but, but why like golf again, going back to golf, golf allowed people to kind of follow on the fairways and stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and then they, they basically did away with that as golf got more and more popular. Right. I think the, the first answer is obviously uh, safety for the players. Right. That's, that's the clear number one answer is like, you can't be having guys that can just run up to Paul McBath. Right. Because you don't know what they're going to, all you need is one incident. And then all of a sudden, like whatever. But I think, I think the second thing is, um, I make this analogy, Nick, you are single. So you're going to have to be the guy to answer this question. Cause I know Matt, you're a married man. Right. So I'm not going to put I'll you on the spot. Attention. Nick, who is, who is your biggest crush? As in like a famous person? Yeah. Famous celebrity crush right now. Got like four, but I'm pretty sure she just got married. Okay. Uh, Daisy, All right, narrow, narrow it down to one. Yeah, Daisy Ridley. She plays Ray from the new star Wars series. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. So she, she, just, she, you just, don't have, she just got, he's married. all breathing heavy over here now, Brody. I can hear it in the mic. <laughs> you don't have any brothers. Do you? I, I have an older brother. Okay. You have an older brother. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I don't know if he's married or not, but let's, let's assume he's single. Okay. He starts dating Daisy Ridley. Uh, I'm just gonna call her Daisy. Cause yeah. I can't, I don't remember her last time. <laughs> yeah. He starts dating Daisy. Okay. He texts you, bro, you will not believe this. Guess who my new girlfriend is. Okay. 
you start freaking out, obviously, right? You're going nuts. You're freaking out. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm bringing her over to the house to meet the family. Get ready. You're nervous. You're sweaty. Your pits. All this stuff is happening, obviously, right? She comes over to the house. You meet her. You're, you probably don't even know what to say. All of a sudden, Thanksgiving rolls around a couple months later. She comes home for Thanksgiving. A couple, fast forward a little bit. Now it's Christmas. She comes home for Christmas. Fast forward. You spend a lot of time. You go on vacation with them. You hang out. You've seen her fart. You've seen her make bad jokes. You've seen all these things, okay? Fast forward two years now, okay? You've hung out with her so much. One of your friends comes over that you, you know, haven't really told, hey, my brother is married to Daisy, and Daisy's over there. He starts freaking out, and you're like, bro, chill, right? You're like, chill. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. why are you freaking out? It's because you've hung out with that person yep. so much to where they're no longer this crazy person there's they're they're just a normal dude. Yeah. And that at the end of the day, all these athletes, all these celebrities, at the end of the day, they're all normal people. Mm -hmm. And if you actually hang out with them enough, you'll realize they're not any cooler than anyone else. So what does sports, what do movies, what do plays? Like when you go to a play, you can't walk up onto the stage and ask them questions when they go backstage to change. You can't do it. The whole reason for that is there needs to be some sort of wall, some sort of thing of I'm here to watch you perform. Mm -hmm. And the whole notion of I can pull up into a parking lot and Paul Macbeth pulls up next to me and we're both getting out when I'm going to watch him play, to me that's just insane. And I think it takes away this kind of like allure of these players. And that's kind of my notion. I don't it, – it, it, when, you, when you think about it, when you meet someone that is like a celebrity to you and – you end up finding out that they're not as cool as you thought they were. It's a huge letdown. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, and, and again, like not all players are the same. So what you, I heard you talking Matt, earlier about Chris Dickerson, where you're like, I'm just going to go up and break up his putting practice and just at, talk to him. Yeah. There's going to be some guys that are completely fine with that. There's going to be some guys that hate that. Exactly. Right? And if Chris Dickerson would have handled it the wrong way, and again, I'm, I'm saying the wrong way. That's not necessarily the wrong way. If you would have came up to him and him be like, bro, I'm putting right now. Can you hit me later? You probably would have walked away and been like, dude, Chris is a jerk. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling yes. all your buddies, dude, yeah. Chris is a jerk. And it's like, that's not fair no. because that's his job. He doesn't go to your job and interrupt you while you're at work. So this whole notion, and again, people can roast me all they want in the comments. It doesn't exist in any other sport. It doesn't exist in any other job, and there's a reason for it. And I think when you can when you take away this like magical door and let everyone in, it doesn't make it as cool. So can we dress it up more and, and make it to where you're behind a wall? And, and maybe to only get an autograph, if you want to get an autograph from your favorite player, you have to go to this specific spot so when the player's done with the round, if they want to, they can go over and sign autographs at that specific spot. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of want to, because I've been reading chat this whole time, and I kind of want to reiterate on this whole thing. You know, people are saying, why change disc golf? Why change it? More so what we're talking about is disc golf in the pro level, on the touring level. Oh, that's yeah. a lot of oh, that's people. People don't I realize that. And I, I want to make sure that that's very clear. A lot of what we're talking about are changes to the professional level of the sport people who go out and do this for a living 99% of the tours uh the pros that I've talked to have talked about look disc golf does need to change in these respected areas in your local communities like we like to call them 
disc golf can stay exactly the way it is, exactly its way it's been 20 years ago and exactly the way it will be in 20 years. That's totally fine. But we're more so talking about the professional scene of it. It's not. Can you, it's not a. Can you great do those thing. comments up real quick, Matt? Yeah, I'll pull some up. Here we go. I'm. I'm, I'm more so, on Skype. I'm more so Sorry, saying. Keep going. Yeah, I'm more so saying that like when we're on a professional level of the sport, there have been times where like I've caddied for Paul at Ledgestone multiple times, and people just go right up to him sometimes mid round, and ask for an autograph. Like I've seen that happen so many times to touring pros. Imagine like, I remember you telling me a story to where you were hanging out at a PGA event. And was it Dustin Johnson? Someone turned around and was like, oh, what's up, Brody? And you're kind of just like, oh, hey, man. But then you don't have a casual conversation with him. He uh, yeah, it, was you. Jo- it was Jordan Spieth. Jordan yeah. Spieth, yeah. But yeah. then, like, imagine, like, you wouldn't just go up to Tiger Woods and be no. like, oh, dude, what's up? Like, you're about to tee off. I know. I'm sorry, but can I get your autograph really quick? Like, that's just, that's not a professional thing to do. And you wouldn't, okay. you wouldn't be able to do that in that All sport. Right. So a couple of things. One, someone said, stop calling it change. Call it evolution. Love it. Can you pull up Trevor's comment? It might be like 10 back. Uh, let me see. I don't Trevor, know can... something. he said, the one thing oh, I like go. about disc golf Travis, is like how yeah. relatable I think. Best thing in disc is golf that... is how relatable the players and the fact I can play the same course as them. Okay. So Travis. two things. Two things. One, I don't think the playing the same course will ever change. I think you'll always be able to go and play the same course as uh, the players. It might not, the baskets might not be in the same spot and you might have to throw from tees that aren't necessarily there, but that's one of the cool things in golf is, Hey, the U S open was just played at this tournament. I want to go and, and test my skills and see what I would shoot. Right. I don't think that goes away. The, the, the only reason and some people might hate me for this, but the only reason that disc golfers are more relatable than I guess what he's saying is disc golfers are more relatable than other sports. One, I would, I would challenge that because there's a lot of other pro athletes that are extremely relatable if you actually hung out with them. But the second thing too is guess what's going to happen when Chris Dickerson wins $5 million Mm -hmm. in a year, Mm -hmm. guess what happens when uh, big germ is now making millions of dollars in a year right are those guys going to be as relatable you know ezra right now living out of his prius that probably makes it really relatable for a lot of people like he's he's grinding whatever Mm -hmm. guess what happens when ezra starts making a million dollars a year you know let's say 10 years from now those people aren't going to be necessarily as relatable because they're going to be driving around in fancy cars. They're going to be having multiple houses. They're going to be doing all these other things. And so now that, that to me, I think is the only reason why you look at NBA, NFL, any others people. And you're like, they're not relatable. Well, they're not relatable just because they have way more money. They're the same, like the personality wise and everything like that, they're going to be the same. I don't know what, if you guys agree or disagree, mm-hmm. but I think that's, I think that's what makes disc golfers relatable is because they're not getting paid yet what they should be getting paid. Hopefully, you know, five, 10 years from now. Exactly. I'm, I'm tracking with you and I'm trying to process like why there'd be so much disagreement or any opposition to the idea that the sport should evolve, if you will, and change. And I think people, there's different, there's different goals in people's minds. Pro right? tour, pro tour. Okay. Again, pro like, tour. not the sport, but okay. the pro tour sure. continue to evolve. Right. Yeah. So the goal of the evolution. Just so people know. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think that what's happening here is 
people are right. It is very cool to be able to go walk up to Paul. I can remember during Paul's 45 at Maple Hill, I was there and he was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on hole uh, 12. 12. And I'm like, hey, man, is that the key to success? Like, literally, I'm just chatting with him. Now, the rest is history. You know, me and him are best. But no, (laughs) but um, but the point is, like, yes, that happened. And I do agree. So the the comments and the chats that are coming in, you can still do that, though. Yes, you can still have that opportunity for sure. But but you're going to be but you should be behind some sort of boundary. Yes, sure. Exactly. Like you you can do that at it. You can do that in an NFL game, too, right? If you have first row in an NFL game, you can literally yell at a player or at a baseball game. Heck, you don't even need to be – a lot of these baseball games, no one goes to these games. So you could be 30 rows up yelling at the outfielder, and he'll turn around look at you. And you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't have conversations. I'm just saying there should be some sort of thing of where the players don't feel bad Mm -hmm. or don't, don't necessarily look bad. Because they're in the zone or, hey, guess what? I don't want to sign autographs mid-round. Yes. And to be clear, and because I just, I'm taking the moment right now and I probably don't feel like I have to, but when I, when I went up to Dickerson, because you pointed it out, it was before a skins match early in the morning, as in it wasn't before his round. (laughs) I I was... (laughs) <laughs> it, it was it was an I was slightly you as an ex- i was using you as an example i know i know i know so i've been around the sport 13 years now i've got to meet almost every single and hang out with almost every single top pro i'm not trying to show my cards here but my point is i've seen the evolution and i am one who is saying that for the sport i say the sport but i actually believe this in full i know you say disc golf pro tour but i actually believe for the sport the whole sport to grow and get better for everybody the top has to do that as well. It has to, because then you're going to create, mm-hmm. um, you're going to create the Tiger Woods, the Tom Brady's. I don't care if you don't like Tom Brady. That was my player for a long time. You're going to create all these superstar athletes, LeBrons, who in turn are going to create more fans. And the more fans that get into it, the bigger disc golf can get, which means in your local level, courses will get better. Um, the, the venues, the atmosphere of big tournaments will get better. Everything. And so like, that's yeah. the, that's the perspective that I'm having when I have this conversation. And again, I, we don't have to destroy the community at the lower level that no, can stay no. exactly the yeah, same. Yeah, Exactly. I'm always a fan of the top. The, what is it? The, some people hate this, but it's like one ship rises. What's that saying? Ship uh, rises them all. I don't know. Rot, rises the <laughs> one ro- boat rises all the water. Someone in the chat knows what I'm talking about, but essentially what you're saying is, for the sport really to evolve and really to grow, it, it has to happen at the highest level. And then when that starts taking off, then one, one ship's tide rises. A, all, a rising all, tide lifts all boats. A rising tide yeah. lifts one all boat boats. One boat is not going to lift all the boats, I knew I was right around it. Okay, rising tide raises all boats or lifts all boats. Yeah, um, yeah the rising tide is the pro tour. And and you can look at that at any other sport. Mm. It's it's the highest it's it's the highest spot of the sport. It's where all the best players play. Um, do you know? And do you know? Go, um, I, I'm assuming you probably heard, and and I don't need your opinions on Steve Dodge, but Steve Dodge's vision. This was before there was ever a disc golf pro tour. Okay, so he. Was, I, I know he did the wrong thing with live. Yes. Okay. But I kind of agree with what he wants yes. to do with live. Um, so, but I think he went about it the wrong way from what I've heard. Yeah, no. And I've talked to Steve in person. He's a friend of mine. I literally said, I I'm going to tell you what I think too. And I, I told him the same thing. I said, I don't think it was the right way, but 
his vision for disc golf, the reason why, and I said this on last week's show, anyone that was listening last week will hear a repeat here. The reason why the Pro Tour exists, this was literally the reason and the vision, was to create a platform for the best talented disc golfers, a stage, if you will, for the best disc golfers in the world to perform and get the recognition they deserve. To do that, it takes money. And that's a whole nother picture. But like the point is, it's that was the purpose for the Pro Tour. And if we're going to make it so it's not a good stage, and some are going to say it's a fine stage, but I think we can make the stage better. And that is what the Disc Golf Pro Tour is doing. Jeff mm-hmm. taking over oh, yeah. um, with his team. Um, Todd, obviously, backing that strongly. I think we are going to continue to see. I think, is it possible to say, what do you think? Is the Disc Golf Pro Tour going to, and it sounds negative, be able to monopolize disc golf? They are going to be the only real good show in town. Yeah. You want me to heat it up? Yeah. How how hot how hot you want me to I come actually, in here? I actually I feel like I'm coming real hot right now. Well, I'm feeling it. I'll let you say it. You've you yeah. know You want me to go lava? <laughs> I'll go lava. All right. Um and and this will be great for a lot of people to hear cuz I'm sure they'll all want to hear this. Next day coverage is hurting dis- the pro tour. Oh god, you're about to piss off all 10,000 people watching right now. I'm just kidding. I, we have talked gonna, about this, and so you guys many might times. disagree. So I want to hear yeah. why you think, why you think it isn't, and I'll tell you why I think it is. Okay. Right now, Nick, like how much, how many viewers do you guys have on here? Uh, That's a good reason, question. It's jammed up. I think we have up. too many. It jammed what, up. Hold well, on. But what what would be your average? What would uh, be your so average? Average, uh, let's say, viewership. is two to three hundred. Average. Right now, there's probably okay. about four hundred. <laughs> Okay, so I, I hit you up I hit you up with an email and I say, Hey, I got I love your guys' podcast. Can you guys do a 30 second sponsor piece where you literally just tell everyone how awesome Brody Smith is? I just want the most bucks. dark horse, whatever. How much money are you charging me? Um, Brody, uh, we can start the bidding right now. I mean, um, I would charge you to start out mm, five tw- bucks. Twenty bucks every time we do it. <laughs> I'm a seller. Okay. Five bucks. <laughs> Okay, I come back to you guys a year later. You're getting fifty thousand views. Are you still gonna charge me twenty bucks? No. Nope. I'm gonna go to a higher bidder probably. Okay, that's the same thing for how sponsorships work for live sports. Okay, so the Disc Golf Pro Tour right now is losing live viewers because there are people out there that do not want to watch the live coverage and they want to. They'll just They'll just watch the next day coverage, right? There's a massive amounts of people that do that. If Nick and Matt, if we were all together hanging out, let's say me and Nick were hanging out, okay? Yeah, you can't take away. You can't take away that like uh, celebrity thing for me. We can't do that. You know, we got to keep that celebrity. Okay, okay. (laughs) Me and Nick, hold on. You're coming in here in a second. Okay. Me and Nick are hanging out. Let's let's say it's Tuesday. Let's say it's Tuesday morning. And me and Nick are talking about Monday Night Football, the game, whatever game it was that happened the night before. And we're like, dude, did you see that play? And then, Matt, you come in and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa stop. I haven't recorded. I'm watching it later tonight. No, no one, no one says, oh, sorry, Matt. That's, that's a reasonable thing. People do that. We're sorry. That doesn't happen in any other sport. No one watches the Super Bowl the next day. And if you do, you're probably – in the super minority of people that have an, incre- an incredible, important job that you couldn't watch it live. What, and if you have an example of a time where 
you literally come in and you say, no, 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 don't tell me. Don't tell me. I have it recorded. For live sports, I would love to know because yeah. I've never been in a situation where if someone came in that situation, they would be laughed out of the room. Like, what are you talking about? You missed the game? Yeah. So, well, I, before my point, I just want to say, I think, I forget what tournament it was at, Brody, but you had the funniest Instagram where you're like, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to everyone for <laughs> oh, absolutely the nothing. <laughs> the was, Conor McGregor? Yeah, yeah. It just, it had me dying. But to, to now to my real point, if I can't watch a sport live, 99% of the time I'm, I'm on ESPN casually watching the score update, watching the score update, you know, what's going on now, what's going on now. Like I'm always paying attention, especially if it's something very important to me. Like when we were up in Vermont and Massachusetts, I couldn't watch all the Celtics playoffs games. And I was like religious to watching those. And so if I couldn't watch it, I wasn't like, all right, no one, no one say anything. No one say anything. Like, uh, of course I'm keeping up with it. So I agree with that. Okay. So a couple more points. First point about the, sp I'll get back to the sponsorship. Okay. And, and again, my, this is all for why next day coverage is hurting the pro tour. Okay. This is, these are all my reasons. If we get, wait, wait, when you say, um, can you define that real quick and then finish your point? When you say hurting the pro tour, are you talking financially? Yes. Okay. And, and, and growth as far as, uh, as far as more people playing and as far as more professional play like right now we have what we said 30 or 40 pros mm -hmm. that number could get to 50 60 70 if all these things change okay okay and i would love to hear your reasons after that why this wouldn't work okay here we go so the sponsorship thing right now they're not they're going around saying hey we have 30,000 40,000 views on youtube okay if there was no next day coverage and there wasn't a way of watching this and all you could watch it was on YouTube on the Disc Golf Pro Tour, how many people would that be? Would it be 50,000 now? Would it be 70,000? Would there be 100,000 people tuning in live? If that was the only way of watching it, I don't know. But I do know it's more than what it is now. So they would be, they would be able to go out and sell their ad space for more, just like you went from $20 to, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand, right? That money that they get, they can, they can put a little bit towards the Disc Golf Pro Tour and then the rest of it goes into um, the purse. So now you're able to pay out more of the players. So now if you win first place at a Disc Golf Pro Tour event, you're getting $10,000 and not $3,000. Mm -hmm. And if you get second, you're getting 4,000 or 5,000. More guys would be able, more guys and girls would be able to go on tour. There'd be more money involved. Also, you guys, Matt, you've been in the social media game here a little bit. You understand you want all everyone talking at once about something. The more chatter, the more you can get a hashtag uh, trending, the more you can get everyone talking about something right now, the more the algorithm will allow that to grow. So what we're doing right now in disc golf is you have a portion of people that are talking about something live, and then you have a portion of people that are talking about the next day, not live. If you were, if you took all those people that talked about the next day and you put them all together with the people talking about it live, now you have everyone talking together. The algorithm is going to love that. It's going to spread it out to more people. More people are going to start talking about it. That's more powerful than spreading things out over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I would say is no other sport lets people come in 
and take coverage from the players and not pay for it. I have the reason why the reason why the NFL, the NBA, all these teams can pay their players so much money is the TV contracts that they have. Fox and CBS, all these all these different networks are fighting over being able to show the NFL or how much money they spend to be able to show the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they know by them having it on their network, they're going to get a lot of traction for their ads that they can show there. So what's happening right now, what's happening right now, and I'll, I'll just say Dark Horse, I'll say the Dark Horse production, because I won't call out anyone that's doing it right now. The Dark Horse po- post-production right now, the Disc Golf Pro Tour, a lot of times is paying the Dark Horse production to come out and film, mm-hmm. okay? And the Dark Horse production is going out and filming, and then the Dark Horse production is now going out and having sponsors shown on the video and all that money and revenue from those sponsors is now going into dark horse production. None of that money is going to the players. So if we did, if disc golf turned into every other sport that exists now, dark horse production wants to film, right? If they want to do it this way, Dark Horse Production is now going to have to pay $20,000 to film a Disc Golf Pro Tour event. Mm -hmm. That $20,000, $18,000 of that goes into the purse. $2,000 of it goes to Disc Golf Pro Tour to make the Pro Tour even better. And now I can make my $20,000 back by the ads I run and all the revenue I make off of showing it on my network. Gotcha. I get what you're saying. I had this conversation with a couple of my buddies a couple weeks ago and just saying that you know, the players, in a sense, when they're on post-round production, they are kind of getting free advertisement for themselves. How, have you talked to a lot of these players about how beneficial I, it actually is? I don't is think that, yeah. I'm, I'm saying these were kind of like the idea points that we were talking about. I haven't talked to a player and said, you know, hey, what's it like being on Dark Horse Productions? Do you feel like you grew social media-wise or anything like that just from being on one, you know, round three of so-and-so Dark Horse Tournament? So I'm not really sure, but that was kind of one of the arguments that people made is you're kind of like a walking billboard for yourself in a sense when you get put on post-round production. But So here, here's the other thought. So I'll first say I think, I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour needs to eventually have everything under its umbrella, and I would love them to be able to hire out a production company that's already doing it so that they know how to, they know that they're going to get a good product. So they get more cameras and stuff like that. And then what ends up happening is now dark horse production, instead of dark horse production, making a lot of money and none of that money really goes to the players, right? Mm -hmm. Dark horse production now has to get creative and come up with cool content that's outside. Cause when you really watch, think about it. If I watch Macbeth Dickerson, uh, Kevin Jones and Matt Graham. Okay. They're on a card. Mm -hmm. How much personality, how much am I really getting of Matt Graham? (laughs) How much am I really getting to know him from watching a 30 minute video of a couple of his shot of, of his shots? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. Uh, Am am I, am I getting enough to be like, I'm a, let's say he plays bad Mm -hmm. and let's say you shoot plus two and everyone else shoots minus 10. Am I really after that? Am I am I going on Instagram being like, I gotta follow this guy. This guy's insane. <laughs> that's am like, I actually doing that? Yeah, a lot of people are they doing that? That's kind of like in 2018, I won an amateur event and I was able to play in the feature card with Dickerson, Paul, and Wysocki. Live. There you go. Did Live. you blow up? 
in a bad way. People were like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. No, <laughs> no but kidding. I'm saying, did you all of a no. sudden did your Twitter start taking off? No. Did you start getting sponsorship potential deals? From winning the tournament. No, not from obviously not from being on live coverage. So well, he, it didn't yeah. do much. What's that? It didn't do much for you, is no, what I'm trying no. to say. No, it didn't do anything. I mean, it so the would, only- have been, would it have been better if Dark Horse Productions would have come and did a video with you, mic'd you up, talked about your career, talked about where you're from, how you practice, what struggles you've been through, and now all of a sudden you've been relatable. Look at Emerson Keith. Emerson Keith blew up mm-hmm. because not just because he did well at Worlds, but because they did that piece about him, about you know him just having a kid and, and what it's like being a dad on tour and all that stuff, you know? So I think now if you made it to where all these other, cause let's be real. Disc golf is not, does not necessarily have the greatest media coverage. Everyone basically does roughly the same thing, which is just showing round coverage. Mm-hmm. There's not really anyone out there doing stories or doing pieces or doing other things, there, right? Recently, we recently, recently got with the into CBS. that a little bit more. Yes, with the CBS, and I think that was for a special occasion. And yes. I'm sure when the ESPN2 stuff comes out, there will be more. No, but I'm talking about, like, we don't have a Barstool Sports. Right. Yes. We don't have a Bleacher Report. Yep. We have we have Ulti World, that is an ultimate Frisbee company that dips their toes into disc golf. Yes. All but right. we don't necessarily have anyone out there that is like, hey, I want to make – and I think GK Pro has found a really good niche with their skins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's more beneficial for someone to go on a skins round than it is for them to be on a lead card yeah. and not win a tournament. You got to get that invite. Yeah. And especially – yeah, and especially when I think over the last couple of episodes, they've really just let the guys – like they've shown raw footage of not just not just them throwing the shots. They kind of show their casual conversations or their, you know, petty little smack talk that they do between each other. And I think that's one of the fun things about the touring disc golfers and the practice rounds is, you know, there's a lot of friends obviously out there, but they do trash talk in a very fun way when you're out for a practice round. I mean, shoot, I trash talk Paul for the heck of it. It doesn't work ever, but it's fun to do. All right. So, yeah. So I guess my question to you guys is what is next day coverage doing? Is it, is it, does next day coverage, outweigh all the things I just said advantage wise because if you if the disc golf pro tour could get a hundred thousand views Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday or let's say Friday Saturday Sunday which in my opinion they easily could if that was the only way of watching these tournaments they now can sell ad space for tens of thousands of dollars so now purses all of a sudden become a lot bigger one of the reasons why the disc golf tour championship was so high drama craziness was there was twenty thousand dollars on the line does that drama and all that stuff exist if the final putt is worth three thousand dollars in a sense right now in disc golf it does for the select person like i would say at waco when colton won his dgpt event down there i think yeah that thirty two thirty five hundred dollars that he made is kind of in a sense like- no i was talking more for the fans oh, sorry i was oh. talking more for like fans gotcha. watching Gotcha. I feel like I feel like when the money's higher, it's more interesting. But yes. then also, I think as a player, if I have that putt to where I know, like, if I miss this putt, I, I lose ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That is going to be more pressure on the player than if I miss this putt, I lose a thousand dollars. I'll give you kind of my take on this in the sense of this is my opinion. This is how I kind of view the topic of this is I love live coverage and I love 
post-round production because in disc golf, we're very fortunate to have the kind of post-round production that we do. No other sport really has it the way we do. I, there are highlight videos on YouTube or you can go watch like when golf has it, golf has it, but they have like five hour rounds. It's not, is it edited the way? No golf golf. I can, I can go on and watch every shot from Jordan Spieth. I can, they have it even better because they have it per person. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've seen that. No one, no one, not to be mean, Nick, but no one wants to watch you blow up on your on your live cut, co- you know, on your no, card, exactly. right? Exactly. So, right, yeah. and no one wants to watch anyone blow up. Mm-hmm. Like that's not fun to watch, and that's why if you watch a golf tournament and someone, let's say Jordan and Tiger are in the lead at the beginning of the round, if Jordan starts blowing up, guess what? You don't see Jordan anymore. You don't watch those shots he's, anymore. He, he's just gone. Gotcha. You don't okay. see his shots. So I, I would just say like. Golf does have it. Mm-hmm. I think football, I think like they, they have some, uh, but again, it's all under the same umbrella. That's yes. what I'm getting at. Yeah. So I think the PJ it's under the PJ tour umbrella. PJ tour isn't allowing Matt Graham to go out and film all of tiger shots and then post it somewhere <laughs> on, his, on his YouTube channel. Yeah. They don't know, but I've been out there with my cell yeah. phone. <laughs> that's, funny. that's funny. It's funny. You should say it like that because that's how Jomez pro got started is yeah, Jomez went to 2012 Worlds, and Shrewstrick invited him to film the <laughs> final nine, and so, that in- technically was the inception of Jomez Productions. So, but yeah, and I think kinda, these companies have really helped. Have um, don't get me wrong. Yeah, all these production companies have really helped grow the sport, and I think they're still going to be very pivotal in growing the sport with the media. I'm not saying they need to go away. I'm saying what I, my my idea of if live was the thing and everyone had to tune in to watch live, the sport would grow way, the pro tour would grow way faster and the players would actually get the money. Mm-hmm. And that's what really needs to happen is the players need to get the money. You're not going to have, you're not going to have these, you know, Ezra is a special breed. You're not going to have people living out of their car playing pro tour events. I just, do you guys know who Proctor is? James Proctor? Yes. Yeah. He's filthy. You know who he is? Yeah. Yeah. He, he would probably be one of the best disc golfers in the world. Yeah. But do you know why he doesn't tour? There's not enough money in it. There's not enough money. Well, that's, that's, that's what Chris do Dickerson... These production companies, do these production companies make it to where James Proctor can tour? No. At the moment, no. Exactly. And that's what Dickerson was just saying on why he doesn't go out to the West Coast. He said, financially, I'd have to get top five at every single event to go out there to make it worthwhile. I'd rather just play an A tier or a B tier locally and make the same, if not even more money. Yeah. If I, if I made, if I just made a dark horse tournament and I said the winner is getting $50,000 and then second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place, sixth place, whatever. Mm -hmm. Does it even matter what course it's at or is literally every good player going to show up? Yeah. Yeah. Can can I say just for, yeah, so, <laughs> drop the mic. So what's, what I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. say is like, what's the, what, so what is the argument to I keep think, post-production? Okay. So I've been listening, you know, I've, okay. People usually roast me for cutting everybody <laughs> off. I've been listening now pretty, pretty good. I've tried to interject here and there, but I wanted to listen and take it all in. There is so many topics. So I think I'll just kind of consolidate it by saying, Brody, believe it or not, because you didn't know my opinion on this. First of all, you and me are very similar in how we share our opinions. We say them, we say we tend to say a little bit 
um, over the top. I, I, not necessarily that we say it's the right way, but we're saying like, hey, let's give it a try. And, and I'm willing to always say, let's try it to the max and see what happens because we can always go back. That's just who I am. Mm-hmm. And I feel very similar when I'm hearing you. I'm going, I don't really need to say anything because he's saying it for me. Um, my wife often is like, Matt, calm down. You don't need to say it that way. People are going to think you're crazy. And I'm like, no, it's just, yeah. it's worth trying. So first of all, I, I relate to you in that. Second of all, I do think um, people that are shouting money is the root of all evil, blah, 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 blah all this stuff. Okay. It, yes. Money. If, it's it, these people's job. Yes. So yeah. exactly. So we're not talking. How would they, how would they like it if I came to their job and I said, you know what? You're actually making $50,000. That's too much. Let's, you're going to start making. We want the people. Yeah. We want the people that watch you doing your job to not have to pay as much to watch you do your, exactly. So it would be, it would be free. Yeah. Yeah. There would be no disc golf net. There would be no disc golf pro tour network buy-in. It would be free because they would want as many people to watch as possible Mm -hmm. to make the views higher so they can sell their ad space for even more. We, one one of the things that's coming up in the chat right now is disc golf companies, not paying the players as they should be (laughs) being paid. That's a whole different rabbit hole. We and actually yeah, have a topic. A yeah, manufacturers aren't paying the players either. <laughs> that, but right, we we, we the, get that. I think the, all three of us can 100 percent agree yeah. on that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, let yeah. me let me finish this out. So the the idea that next day coverage. I also want. I don't want. I don't feel like I have to do disclaimers. But like the Jomez Pro dudes, they're my friends. They actually during their first year of touring stayed in the studio area for like two solid yeah. weeks. It was awesome, right? So mm-hmm. they there's no doubt, and I know you said this, Brody. There is no doubt that they helped get this to where it is. Unfortunately, 100%. unfortunately, and this is the way it is in the construction industry where I am, you work yourself out of a job. It's almost like they've grown the sport so large to where they're the largest solely disc golf channel on YouTube right now. The largest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's growing so big that it's almost like it was never, it's quote unquote, wasn't their sport. Like it's their sport that they filmed. And, and again, Jonathan, you were in, he was in here early in the chats. Mm-hmm. Literally, I support your business. I think what you're doing is awesome. I hope there's a way that this can continue to morph and evolve. To They'll where probably try to start their own tour. Well, that's what they talked <laughs> about. Said that, yeah. They actually yeah. talked about and, that because then but, it's theirs. But the thing is, if they start, yeah, it's theirs, and then they have to figure out a way of how they get the money. Yeah. Because correct me if I'm wrong, there is no. There is no professional sport out there where the people filming the athletes aren't paying in some way the athletes. I agree. So their answer to us, if if people want to go back, I'm not going to reiterate the whole thing. We had them on a show. It was, I don't know, two hours long. Wait, so you got to tell me why next day coverage is actually good. Yeah. So that's, that's, I want to hear the argument. No, there's actually, okay. So why next day coverage is good. If I was, I'm going to be the pro tour. Yes. It would be me actually playing devil's advocate. Cause in a lot of ways, and this was my point, I actually agree with you, but I think their, their argument. And again, the devil's advocate argument or the, whatever the, with them argument is the idea that. Disc golf is unique, which I found intriguing to say the least was okay. It's true. No one's ever done this sport and seen it grow this way, but we can look at other models. Number two, I think that the free coverage is at this point perpetuating. And as we see it, they have quarter million followers right now, and they're continuing to grow rapidly. It's perpetuating at least the interest. The people who are going out there right now are able to find it easier access. And that was actually the reason why when we talked about having pay to play courses, this is a whole nother topic we had increasing pay to pay play courses. So the, the sport gets better on these courses. People said the 
accessibility of a free course is so high that more people are coming to the sport because of that. Now, I know it's a different topic, but the point is, I think there is something to be said about the free access right now. Now, if I'm going to say now what I actually think in here, I'll say what my point is. I think paying $4 or $8 a month, and I, I know there are some people out there who literally can't scrape that. I am I feel for them, but that is not very much to watch live coverage sports, and I pay it happily. So I actually would agree with you, at least push back the next day coverage, at least push it back a week or two weeks, and then, well, yep. Well, I was just going to say, an, an easy fix for the Pro Tour is literally they could just have it set up where it's free to watch, everything's free, and then if they still wanted to have something paywalled, they could have special special stuff additionally behind True. Uh, the paywall. True. But um you know it's just yeah i don't know no i i i don't know a business out there that operates the way that disc golf does and the 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 notion of that it's unique i don't think that works because the player the players are getting pay, underpaid yeah yeah well it's on the, its way the, up. It's, it's on its way up and the, to your point earlier the, the disc golf but the production tour. companies are are the production companies are making money off the players and the players aren't seeing any any yes. of it. To your point earlier though, the disc golf pro tour is on a track and I and I'm not going to call <laughs> him dumb or smart, but Jeff Spring is obviously, he has to be. He's the CEO of the tour. He has to be pretty keen all this idea because he knows. He knows just like what you're saying because it's not bad math, it's not bad business. He knows that this break or evolution <laughs> this is going to have to, evolution you know, it's going to have to happen he he has to know that and if we could call him up right now do you know this is going to have to happen he would be pretty political i think and say like uh, you, you tiptoe around it because he has to right now but i do think it's going to happen a lot of your reasoning i agree with um i i don't think it's going to happen tomorrow i do think we'll see some changes next year i'll just leave it at that yeah and I again think like this uh, my last point is just like do do because all the people that are talking right now are clearly probably fans. I don't know if there's any pros in any of the top 30 pros in the chat, but I'm guessing all the people talking right now are fans. And whether you like it or not, let's say you don't like it, for whatever reason you do, fans at the end of the day want to watch good disc golf, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that's the key. They they're not going to watch Jomez if none of the four players that are featured on Joe. I mean, you just look at the numbers. You can go on Jomez and you can find a tournament where there's no big names that they filmed and the views are way lower than if there's a big name on there, right? The idea of players getting more money is going to be two things. One, people would take it more seriously at the top already, right? The Paul McBeth, the Chris Dickerson's, all these guys. Now maybe they make enough money to where now they can hire a trainer. So now they're working out. Maybe they, ha they hire a masseuse. So when they go to tournaments, they have their personal masseuse there. It's going to make those guys better. So we're going to be able to watch better disc golf. But ultimately, it's going to be able to make it to where the guys that are anywhere, the James Proctors and those type of people that can't go on tour right now because they have a normal paying job and they're not willing to get rid of that because they don't think they can make enough money on tour, we now get to see the James Proctors. Because he knows if he just goes out and wins one tour event in the season and then cashes a couple here and there, he makes just as much as whatever job he has now. Mm -hmm. So 
There's no, and then at, at the end of the day, that's better for the fans. We're going to see better disc golf. We're going to see better disc golf people right now. And I don't, I don't necessarily blame them. They're tied up in the, the hardship, if you will, of breaking away from relationships of the community that have been built. However, it's going to have to happen. That doesn't go away, but that doesn't go away. Well, when I say community, what, com what community goes away though? I was just going to say the community I'm talking about is the ability that they feel to connect with the uh, Jomez crew. It, 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 this is a whole different story. Like, what other place do you actually connect with a crew who's producing it? That's a whole other topic. Name name another production crew exactly. that exists. Exactly. That's yeah, in a different. So I've, I've heard that. It is unique in that sense. Yeah. It is unique in that sense. But let me also say, I thought your point was actually pretty good just a second ago. <laughs> They, a lot of good ones, but where you said, let's make it free. So we don't even have to make this about money. Let's just go live. Every, the whole portal is through the live production. You can go rewatch the live or what they used to call, right? When Smashbox did it, smash cuts. Like, so later on the next day or whatever, you could watch it condensed if you want to, but like, that's the only portal to watch it. Uh, that's where else do we not see that in sports? That's it's everywhere in sports right now. You can only go watch it through one Avenue. Mm -hmm. That's it. You don't yeah. have your options of like, oh, I'd rather go support this broadcast company or this one. Like, yeah. we do that with news, but then you get all different news. <laughs> well, I think we're finally yeah. starting to get to a point where there's like Hulu TV, YouTube TV, and everything like that. And one of the big arguments that a lot of people are saying right now is, I don't have cable anymore. All the youngsters don't have cable. Neither do we I. We don't watch live disc golf right now on cable. 99% no. of the people watching live disc, I would say actually 100% of the people watching live disc golf are watching it on YouTube. Well, you would still be able to watch it or on the, the Disc, Disc Golf, Golf Network. Network. Yes, or the Disc For Golf free. Network. Yeah, sorry. You could either go YouTube or Disc Golf Network. Yeah. So you or, or not... and, and let's say it does get on TV. Let's say ESPN two says, Hey, yep. we want to start doing more of it. Mm -hmm. It would it would be on ESPN two or I guess you could even watch it on ESPN two's app, but you yep. could also again watch it on the Disc Golf Network. Exactly. You don't need to we're necessarily not, have to we're have not cable. telling people to pay thirty three dollars a month for cable. It's that's right. not the sake of the argument right now. We're talking about how Right now, we we are we are spreading disc golf, and I think too many areas. Technically, like it's just being when it should be consolidated. Like Brody's talking yeah. about everything under one umbrella, which I don't think is a bad. Take idea our at ideas, all. everybody. Yeah. Take I don't want to say with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> take our ideas, disc golf pro tour, make it happen for. I don't want to. No, I don't want to say <laughs> take our ideas with a grain of salt, but we are throwing ideas out there, and honestly, it is causing a ruckus in the chat, which is awesome because we're talking things yeah. disc golf now. I don't think there's an answer to it. That being said, a lot oh, of... Oh, there is an answer. Yes. Well, I was going to say, there's a lot, <laughs> there were a lot of answers tonight, yeah. but to how to actually make it happen right now, and I already said this, Jeff Spring... Oh, it's very easy. Jeff Spring already knows what's coming down the pipe. I'm, I'm just saying, like, he knows. <laughs> what would happen... Here, theoretical, theoretical question, okay? The uh, All-Star Weekend's coming up, right? Top eight players, top eight women, top eight men, Yep. right? What if they came to Disc Golf Network or Disc Golf Pro Tour and they're like, hey, listen, uh, we're not going to be playing at any events where people can come in and film us for free. Right. Yeah, they could. That's what I was talking about earlier. Player uh, player association. What, or what, ha what happens? The tour slowly dies out in a sense, at least for I mean, if you're taking the top eight players in the world from each yeah. MPO and FBO yeah. field, I mean realistically in a sense your fpo field completely dies out your mpo field takes a really hard hit to where now tons of people aren't watching the disc golf pro tour because they want to know okay paul's not playing the pro tour anymore that means he's only paying playing national tour 
that means I'm only going to watch four events this year, only the national tour events that he goes to. So yeah, the disc golf pro tour takes a massive hit from that. Yeah. And this, and this idea of like people saying like, I'm trying to monetize and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What the heck? I'm trying to make it to where people that are good at something actually can do it for a living. Mm -hmm. Like every other sport, this whole notion of like, Oh, you can't, you, you can't make too much money. That is so silly to me. What, what, these people at these people that make these comments, I want to know, like if their boss and I'm just getting on my high horse, if their boss came into them and like, hey, listen, you've been working really hard and doing great. We're going to give you a raise. Mm -hmm. Are these people saying no? I make too much money. No, no, Heck no. it's 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 just crazy to me. And it's again, it's not even coming out of your pocket. It's not your money. Like the money is going to be coming from sponsors. That's the whole idea. It's when yeah. I'm not asking you to pay the players more. All I'm trying to say is it's sad at the end of the day to have to look at these guys that are doing a really good job and they're not able to make a living. Yeah. I, I think, think, yeah, it, it's weird because, and other people are doing amazing. Yeah. We're always off of these players. We're always making talking tons and tons of thousands of dollars off these players. And these players aren't making any of it. Yeah. We like a lot of casual people will talk about, you know, disc golfers aren't making as much money as they should. And then we bring up these ideas where disc golfers can potentially make more money. And then they're calling people greedy. And now disc golfers are only playing the sport for money. But like Brody said, this is their it's job. Your job. This is their job. Like this is what they are doing to make <laughs> a living. And I would say if there's 500 people in the chat right now, 490 of them are probably saying, damn, I really wish that I could make disc golf a full-time career for me. The only way you can yeah. do that is to actually make it to, obviously you got to be good at disc golf. And then two, you need to be able to make money at those tournaments. Mm. We're only talking about a sport that has what, how many PDGA members in it right now and how many people go to these big events. We're talking about 30 of them maybe 40 who can consist consistently actually go out on the road and tour. And those bottom 20 through 40 people are living in minivans, Priuses, you know, stuff like that. Very where I mean, look what's happening to the NCAA, right? College mm -hmm. players are now being like, you guys are making millions, millions of dollars video off games. of us. Yeah. <laughs> millions of dollars off of us. And I might blow out my ACL and never be able to be a professional at my sport. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm for NCA players making money, mm -hmm. you know? So why, why, yeah, I've, why not? Especially if they're going to have a video game and they're going to be players yeah. in that video game. Why are they not? Or, or if they, you know, why can't they sign a shoe deal? Or okay. Like so that? I don't know what birdie birdie disc golf gave them, but we have players now in the game of birdie disc golf. Yeah. Um, so dude, birdie disc golf's fire. Yeah, it, is, it is. It's, it's awesome. I got the expansion pack coming. Birdie. Shout out to Steve uh, Dodge. Birdie. So, yeah. Well, back <laughs> in the day, back in the day, yeah, <laughs> off topic. Back in the day, Steve Dodge. This is really this is history. He was. Some, I think Steve Dodge was the first disc golf video production company ever. Ever. He would walk around a course with his handy cam when they did the Marshall nice. Street Disc Golf Championship. He would edit to, it together on his iMac, and then every time they would throw a birdie, he'd be like, he'd say it. He'd go birdie, and then every time birdie. they'd hit a tree, he'd be like. WW Smackdown or something like he was really he did his own commentary it was really cool uh but so can I'm going to wrap up this conversation cuz we could literally go on and on I think people are afraid and that is not a disc. Yeah, I can I can come on a different time too we, I kind of came on dark horse we we will <laughs> we'll have plan, you on we'll plan it out next we time. will have I you on a different have, time cuz you know you know me I have tons and tons of other ideas 
yes, we will have you on another time. We'd like to get to know Brody, the player, uh, as well. So, but here's here's the wrap up. I think people are afraid, and that is not a diss on them. Like I'm not saying that in a dissful way. I'm saying that's where this is coming from. Fear of saying I don't know what the future would look like if what I love right now, if I love right now, is to change. That might affect what I love about it. And so there's this fear element. I understand that. I, I think, though, that the conversations that we're having should not be fearful. The conversations we're having should be applauded because it should be, we need conversations about how to continue. What if we could make it better? The thing that you love, mm-hmm. what if it was to be better? And you don't know what that better is. Mm-hmm. You do not know because it's not there. But what if I was to tell you, like, it would be better? Um, then, and then all of a sudden, if I could promise that people would be down for it. Now I can't promise that. So people aren't down for it, but we can say, look, this is what Brody's doing. He's saying, look at everything else out there, how they're doing it. And that's the points he's bringing. I think they're valid and at least worth considering. He brings a voice to this. I don't care how new he is to it. And, um, that's kind of my wrap up on is like, let's, have this conversation again another time. I, Let's keep having the conversation. I kind of want to go into it again really quick, and I just want to say this. Yeah, is I, that, I have one, one yeah. thing to say after you, Nick. So people are For talking people about, to, you know, to sleep on. Um, we need to build an economy around the sport, and shutting out the fans isn't the way to do it. We're not talking about shutting out the fans. What Brody and all of us have been saying this whole time is we're trying to create the disc golf network and to kind of be the monopoly of everything disc golf in a sense. We're talking about free coverage for everyone because when you have that many people, you don't need to charge them. We're talking about filming crews paying to actually film the players and film these events. We're not talking about, hey, we're going to take the Disc Golf Network and make it $30 a month for people to watch live coverage. Like That's not at at all what we are talking about, and I don't know why – yeah, the USDGC think... thing was terrible. What the heck? I shouldn't have to pay to watch a major? Get out of here. Exactly. I agree with that. We're in different spots in disc golf right now to where people are trying different things. People are trying different ideas to what they think can potentially grow the sport. And I think that is part of the process of growing pains at the moment. We are a sport that is evolving still. And like I said before, we're trying to evolve mostly the pro level of this sport. We want to see players not just be disc golf rich. I would like to see more players <laughs> segue. Be, yeah, be able to go out and buy the things that they really love or to not have to live and tour in an RV. I there's not a single PGA player. I think there was one a couple of years ago and then he wins one event and now he can completely flip his life around. Oh. Oh, his life has changed. Yeah, exactly. Just from winning yeah. one event. So like Colton Montgomery at Waco, if he wins that and we had the money that golf does, he goes from touring around in his van and to, you know what, screw it. I'm going to fly to the rest of the events this year because I've earned that money and I can do that now. We're talking about trying to grow the sport at the professional level at the most part. We do want to see, obviously, the communities. Communities and the people, the fans of disc golf are incredible. They are the ones who also, they support the pros with the disc sales. They support them just by watching the videos and everything like that. But we, it's a podcast. <laughs> we are trying to just I, spit I ideas also, at each other. And someone said I want something. I want fans to pay more. I I want you guys to pay yep. less. We don't want you yeah. guys to pay. That's I what we're saying. I want it to be free. Yeah. What the heck? Um, what the heck? Did you have anything else, Nick? Nah, go ahead. Okay. So my last thing is, if you think that disc golf is where it is solely because of these production companies, you're insane. 
These production companies do not exist if the players don't exist. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. If the top 20 MPO players and the top 20 FPO players, for whatever reason, don't decide to show up at a disc golf pro tour event that's being filmed by all these production companies, those production companies will take a hit. Not as many people would watch their videos. The players need to get paid. Yeah. If people are making money off of the players, the players need to get paid. And that's not what's happening right now. Production companies are making tons and tons of money off of these players' names, and the players aren't getting paid. Mm -hmm. The second thing I'll say, and I'll leave it at that, is how crazy would it be? Again, disc golf isn't golf. I get it. But I'll just throw this one out there. How crazy would it be if Innova was able to go to Paul and say, Paul, we want you to putt with, what did he putt with, an AVR? Yeah, he put with AVR? Like pro AVRs. Okay, we're like, Paul, we want you to putt with the McPro AVR next year. Can you do it for 100K? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. Right. So, yeah, I, I guess. That, does, that doesn't exist right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, you sign, you, if you get sponsored by a manufacturer, you put their name on your shirt, you yeah. throw every <laughs> single disc, you do everything with that manufacturer. If you look at golf, there's very few golfers, and if they do sign a 13-club deal, if you do sign a – and I'm not talking about Drew Gibson model. No. If you do sign a 13-club deal where you only – every club in your bag is tailor-made, that is, that's unique. Most people sign uh, nine-club deals, and they'll have woods and irons with, the manu- with one manufacturer, and that would be – that's their main manufacturer. So if it's tailor-made – they would have all tailor-made woods, drivers, all tailor-made irons, and then they would have a tailor-made bag. And then they can go out and Titleist, they can do Vokey wedges and get money. They could putt with a Scotty Cameron and get money. Mm-hmm. Now you have people fighting for more spots in your bag. More money for the player. I Okay. We're on the same page here. Yeah. I'm tracking. I've I wanna, said it. I want to say something really quick. Someone had wrote... <laughs> Paul wouldn't have the contract that he does without post-round production. And I just want to say 99% of that statement is false. Paul wouldn't have the contract that he has right now without five world titles. Oh, so that's mostly what got him a <laughs> fat contract and to us, two USC so, titles. Post-round so, production, obviously in a, some sort of sense helped him out a little bit, but yeah. a lot of what Paul has done for the sport has more so helped out post-round production. So sp- all right, well let me let me just ask your audience real quick a question. Yep. Unless you guys have to go. No, nope. real no, quick. I, can, can you pull up the chat real quick? I can and, pull and hopefully up everyone a portion an, of it. Hope, hopefully everyone answers this properly. I can pull up a portion uh, of it here. You'll see like three okay, in a row. Yeah. That's that's fine. All right. Just type yes or it's a yes or no question. Type yes or type no. Do you know who Austin Hannum is? <laughs> it's gonna take about 10 seconds, you know. So that's there's a little delay. That's fine. But I just want to know how many people know who Austin Hannum is. And if you don't, just say no. That's fine. <laughs> okay, a lot of yeses. Yeah, you can see more than me. So let me know if, how, many, how many no's compared Wait, to the eagle? yeses there are. There I is, feel like I saw Eagle. It's going super fast. Thank you for the engagement, Brody. Oh, <laughs> it's like going, 80 going, million. Um, there's welcome. a few no's, but probably 100 yeses. So percentage-wise, maybe like 95%, maybe oh, even higher? Yeah, probably higher than that. Okay, 
So the point right now is when you get to a certain level in disc golf, going on these production, like getting on coverage and stuff doesn't really do anything for you. Everyone knows who Austin Hannum is. So if they wanted to follow Austin Hannum, they would already make that decision now, right? Him getting on post-production doesn't really necessarily help him as much as like a newer player might. A newer player, it might help them get their name out there a little bit more. But the problem is at a certain level, it doesn't help. Paul going on uh, Central Coast or uh, GK Pro or Joe, anything, that doesn't do anything really for Paul in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, you know most of the time when post-round production has feature cards, it's more often than not players that they picked to help grow their channel. They're exactly. It's, it's, it's not really help when they not, have Paul on the channel. The players. It's to help their channel. Paul has created more so than that, and I'm going to argue with one of the guys who's in our chat right <laughs> this now. Is getting, said, <laughs> this is getting carried away. He was, I, so that's I, my, I that's his my last whole comment, point. Is like but... it helps to a certain point, but again, if yeah. there was live coverage, you would they wouldn't need post production. People saying Kyle Klein. I would know who Kyle Klein is with live coverage at watching him at Maple Hill. Mm-hmm. I would know who Kyle Klein is. I don't need post production coverage to know who Kyle Klein is. So again, it only helps you. For like the newer players, and like you were saying, Nick, when they do feature cards, they're literally picking who they think is going to help them get the most views. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot it of doesn't players. help the players, and the players need to get paid more money. I never knew. I'm trying to think. I never knew as Ezra. Or excuse me. I knew Ezra before I saw him on any post round production stuff. If companies like I knew him from OTB sponsorships and OTB posts. And stuff like that. I knew Kyle Klein. I played a tournament with him last year, but I knew him as a disc mania, a disc mania kid. He was kind of an up and comer. Mm-hmm. Alden Harris, prodigy kid. You know, Matt knows him. That was before. We don't know them from post round production. More often than not, you know players from their sponsorships and their sponsorships promoting that player. I know that Adam yeah. Hammes throws and has a tour series wasp because Discraft has yeah. promoted, excuse me, that yeah. he throws a wasp. It's not from watching and being like, oh, I wonder if Ian Anderson got that disc correct on that one. Yeah. So if you if you hate me because I'm trying to get players more money and you're like, <laughs> oh, Brody's greedy. He wants to get more money for himself. Guess what? You can't have it both. You say I suck and I can't cash at tournaments. So you can't say that I want to try to get more money for myself and say that I suck. I agree. And I'm not going to cash at a tournament. I'm trying to give it more money for the best players, Brody. That's all you, I'm trying to do. I'm sorry. You can't say both things. It doesn't. It doesn't work. I'm that sorry way. that you had to say that because <laughs> I, that's exactly what I've been thinking this whole time. Is I'm like, it, just how would it sound? Okay, it, this is a work with me here. Everyone else say yes or no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so here's how it works. How would you feel? How would you feel if Paul Macbeth came out? In the same way and said, we're not making enough money. Pound, pound, pound. You know how many people would roast Paul because they'd say, you are a ungrateful son of a gun who you're making more money than anybody and you're still complaining. Like, he could do that. And I think it's possible he could demand that for everybody else. But like, Yeah, but he's he, he's saying everyone needs to be making yes, more money. I guess It'd but, be one thing if he was like, I need to be making more money. 
<laughs> yeah. It'd be a different thing if he said the purses at these tournaments need to be bigger. Exactly. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that's what you're saying. That's what I'm 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 saying a lot of the similar things here. I think it will take disc golf where it needs to be. Um, I do appreciate, by the way, we do have friends in here. Uh, Brody. Kyle, Kyle Moriarty. <laughs> we have friends in, as in people are actually saying like, yeah. this is great. This is not an either, or this is not that at all yeah. these different comments in here. Yes. Yeah. Spoiler. A lot of people actually agree. They just don't want to come yeah. out because if they come out and say something, they get mobbed attacked. Yeah. But that's how social media is nowadays. So, but yeah, I just want to get that off my chest because I, I think it's insane when people are like, Brody's greedy. He's just trying to change the no. sport to help him. And, and then they also say that I suck no. and I can't do anything. I, it, both those things, those don't add up. I'm trying to make the sport harder to help myself get better. But then I suck at this. How does that make any sense? Everybody, I'm, everybody spread a little love, spread a little love. Yeah. All right. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of these people that just make these comments, I can just laugh <laughs> at. No, no, no. It, oh, it's, it's, you know their, what? Log it's, their logic makes no sense. Brody. So this was one of the topics that we were going to come up with earlier was, you know, what players are going where I don't want to get into that subject now, but obviously we we're talking about what players in the offseason are going to go where. And I love hearing and I love seeing all of the comments of people thinking where other people are going to go. And it's can like, we just read our list? Just well, read yeah, hold, hold on. But I want to kind of <laughs> okay. get back to, you know, we were talking about that. And then, like, you know, Paul posts this thing on Instagram the other day and it's, you know, this, you know, making moves with Discraft or yada, yada, yada. And everyone's like, oh, dude, he signed like a $10 million deal with Adidas. And I'm like, where the hell do you guys get all these ideas from? And it's kind of <laughs> like, if you're not in the know, you have no idea what you're talking about in a sense. And just seeing yeah. the crazy conspiracy theories are great, but we're trying to better. And this is a podcast. We're having discussions. We want to have fun with it. And, uh, but we're trying to better certain aspects of the sport. And we're talking about areas that we think personally are hindering certain parts of the sport man that's what we're getting at right now nick tell someone you love them this no Dude, the, the chat day. the chat makes this show go longer and people listening in their cars right now either are loving it or they're like whoa this is a long <laughs> rant session so that's fine but that's good but can we just read our list and stay on or if you want to go you can go yeah Maybe. let's let's hit, hit me and then i gotta get some food real fast. all right so we're just gonna read our list and then you can take off we think that there's there's rumor out there calvin heimberg's moving He's with Innova right now, and he's been playing extremely well. Possibly was player of the year. We I'll think. keep a straight face because I know a lot, but I won't say oh, anything. Oh, snap. Yeah. So that means he knows what we know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're in the know, you're in the know. You're in the know. Uh, so, Calvin, Drew list. Gibson. Drew Gibson, by the way, left Innova two years ago, went to Infinite as a open bag player. Probably he's a good enough player, I think, to, to make a decent sponsorship. I don't know why he took infinite last year. Not well, saying they're bad. Having, no, I think having a mixed bag can definitely help. We were talking yeah. about earlier, having a disc type. So then why isn't he going to stay there? He might. No, he's moving. Who knows? I got, I got him Depends. to give me hey. a peace finger today when he's, when I asked him he's moving money. So he's moving money. Um, James Conrad, his contract ends 2020, which is this year. And has he been, is he getting compensated? What he wants to get compensated for how well he's doing. He's on the star team now, right? He is on the star team. Decent compensation right there. I'm sure he'll probably try to negotiate a contract. Okay. Uh, Kyle Klein. This is um, his potential upgrade on Discmania. Yeah, we're I not necessarily say. talking about leaving the sponsors, but mm -hmm. upgrade. Kyle Klein, I think he demonstrated a multiple lead card rounds. And uh, I don't know what he's getting compensated right now with Discmania, but uh, I have Ezra Adderhold, obviously. This was, this was a huge one. I think Ezra Adderhold is probably the biggest talk in the free agency because he's an OTB, same thing, kind of like Infinite. He's an OTB-sponsored player that throws a mixed bag. And I, I honestly, 
from seeing him play and seeing kind of the athleticism and the potential that he has, I think any company would be fortunate to pick him up. I honestly, everyone's saying Discmania, but yeah. who else does Latitude have right now? Yeah. Emerson uh, Keith, Emerson. Johnny McRae, and who else? By who the knows? way, I thought about Emerson Keith as being a possibility of moving, but Emerson's contract, I think he's yeah. pretty a straight guy. He's going to stick with yeah. his contract. Dude, they gave him an RV. Okay. Like a motor. Um, this is kind of, <laughs> I'm going to use the phrase dark horse, <laughs> Nate Perkins. So Brody, you were just hanging out with him and I'm thinking Brody, I saw your social media. I think that's where it was. Uh, Brody, Nate Perkins, Discmania, obviously Brody, Discraft, Paige, Discraft, Nate Perkins hangs out with Paige a lot and that's all Discraft stuff and his contract ends this year. Now that is a far shot in the dark. I don't yeah. think it's happening. He has too much going on where he actually has, you know, the nice tour discs and all that stuff. But I was going to say, he's got a tour disc. His I contract think, ends. I think one of the tough things with Discmania right now is you have kind of like Crush Boys. You got Eagle and you got Simon. Those are the two faces of Discmania. But then you got the Colton Montgomery and the Nate Perkins who have the Lone Howl and the FD. I forget the name of it, but you know, I, he, he might be content, you know? All right. So finish out the list here. Let Brody get his dinner. He can uh, leave whenever e he wants. Eagle, Eagle McMahon. McMahon. Discmania through 2020. That's speed. when, wait, Eagles, it runs out 2020. We're going to see some big upgrade or, or just the same. What do you yep. think? Three years? Five years? We're going to hear something. We're going to hear something. Five is a lot. I don't know. He had good finishes this year. He did, but I'm saying five years. Like, that's a big contract. I don't know. I think three years. I think three is a safe bet. Uh, Barsby. Uh, Barsby. He was a world champion. He got bumped up to the star team. I think it was kind of not, I don't want to say awkward, but he wasn't on the star team. He won worlds and they're like, uh, we got to put him on the star team. Well, that's, and that now original... he's kind of like been kind of yeah. around, but ghosting the feature leads, all that. Like we haven't really seen him. Originally, that was the way to get on star team was to have a world championship. Okay. Interesting. That was like way back in the day. You knew something I didn't. Uh, Thomas Gilbert, <laughs> and of a crew team, I think he will jump up potentially to crew team, dude. Yeah, Thomas Gilbert crew team. So he's team. just a casual and of a sponsored yeah. player. That's think, crazy to me. What's their second level? Uh, team champion. Uh, their I, champion. So there's a sponsor level. It's called sponsor. Yeah. Then there's crew level, maybe, and then there's champion, and then there's um, star. So I think he'll probably jump up to champion. Okay. And then I, the only FPO that I thought might have a chance, and I don't think it's going to happen. All the other FPO that I'm thinking of wouldn't change. Uh, would be Ellen Widboom, possibly. Uh, I don't know if they'd upgrade her to star. She's on champion right now. She had a win this year, uh, some close finishes. Why? And, and if you, the reason I'm bringing this up is because if you look at the FPO sponsored players at Innova, there's players that Ellen Widboom should be beating out, like, and she's not on the star team. So I'm kind of confused there, but I that might happen. So that was our picks. You know something we don't know, Brody? You know anything else? You hear any big rumors? You going to Innova? Where, he, what are you he, doing? He's on Uber Eats right now. Are that's you going to Mixed Bag? Mixed Bag? Yeah, You're going to play Foundation? I won't, I won't say anything like that because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. <laughs> but um, I'll say a couple a couple more hot topics that you guys can discuss while I leave. Okay. Or you can discuss for another day. Okay. First one being... One of the big issues right now is some players don't know their value of what they're worth, mm -hmm. and some players don't care. And I'll relate that to social media. So let's say, Nick, you have 50,000, or let's say you have 100,000 Instagram followers, and I have 50,000, and we're friends, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say uh, I have Beats right here. So Beats hits you up and says, Nick, we want to send you Beats headsets for free if you post it on your Instagram story. And you're like, sick, I'll do it, right? Mm -hmm. Now Beats comes to me and says, hey, 
we want to send you a free headset if you post it on your story. And I'm like, no, that's going to cost like, that's going to cost like $2,000. They're not going to pay me $2,000 because they just got you for free. Yeah. Now, if Beats came to you initially and you said that's going to be $4,000 and then they came to me and I said, that's $2,000. Now Beats is in a situation of, do they want to do 2000 for 50K or do they want to do 100,000 for for, uh, 4K? Yeah. Or yeah, 4,000 for 100K, Mm -hmm. right? They can either pay both of us, they can pay one of us, they don't have to pay either of us. But regardless, we're not selling ourselves short. Mm -hmm. So right now what's happening is a lot of players are selling themselves short. Um, And this whole greedy thing, I don't, (laughs) you guys. I'm over here, I'm over here laughing. I I hope. I think these are teenagers and don't actually have real jobs. I had, yeah, um, I know, right? Because <laughs> because if you actually have a real job, you probably are just you're probably getting underpaid too. You're probably, hey, you're gonna have to come in and work overtime, but we're not gonna pay you overtime. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, I'll come yes. in and do overtime. I will. Yes, I'll be there yes, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. What 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 world are you guys living in? So um, that right now that's hurting people because manufacturers know they can base they're basically getting a lot of people for undervalue what they are valued and um that's one thing the second thing too is i don't think sponsorship deals should happen where players only really get money when their discs sell so so we're talking about salaries comes, if someone yep. comes to me and says hey buddy we want to do a deal with you and we're going to give you a link. And every time someone clicks that special link and buys something from our website, we will pay you a little kickback from that. So you like that idea? The, no, okay. I'd never do deals like that because there's going to be times where I do a sponsored video. Okay. Let's say I do a Gatorade video mm-hmm. and I say, Hey guys, click the link down below. Uh, it'll give you 20% off Gatorade. There's going to be times where yes, some people will click that link and go buy Gatorade. There will also be times where people will just two days later be out and they'll see a Gatorade and they'll be like, oh, Brody did a video with Gatorade. That was cool. I'm going to buy that. I don't get any of that money. That's not really how any advertising works. If you do, if you put an ad on TV, no television uh, network would say, would agree to like only click through rates, right? McDonald's says, hey, we want to run an ad on whatever, but we only want to pay for the people that actually click on this link and buy McDonald's right now. No, no one would do that deal. And that's kind of what disc golf is right now is, Hey, I will wear your stuff and throw your discs and do everything for you. But I'm only going to get paid when someone buys my specific disc that, Oh, by the way, there's another disc out there that does exactly the same thing. And it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And I think, (laughs) Go get your dinner. We'll talk about well, no, no, it. No, I, I really quick before we leave, I just want to say this. So, but yeah, Jer- I'm, I'm sorry. Jeremy Rusco from I'm- the uh, CEO of DD had just talked about how they had exponential growth this year, like 100% growth that they did not expect came about. Oh, yeah. I hope Drew Gibson wanted to do a video on what every player play, uh, makes, salaries and everything like that. But every single company is having their players, for the most part, sign NDAs so they can't talk about how much they make. I hope Smart. that if you are a DD sponsored player and you did better this year than you did last year, when Jeremy Rusco said, Hey, we had a hundred percent growth this year through everything. We're already trying to get a bigger warehouse. I hope that you were going to them and saying, Hey, I just had an incredible year this year. 
I want to upgrade my salary or I want to get into a salary mode. Like those are kind of things that you need to look at. And Nick, say, that's now it's the time, you know, now Nick, it's, it's contract. Year, where, you know? where has this been at all 24 episodes, this hot, like, man, all right. I'm bound to get worked Last out. thing I'll say, you can say whatever you want for me, but I create a business by throwing a piece of plastic so you can all suck it. All right. <laughs> Take it easy, bro. I'm out. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for everyone that. Hey, also, you guys keep doing what you're doing because you're one of the few uh, podcasts out there that I think is actually putting really, really good content out. So oh, I appreciate oh, what you guys oh, do. Heck, oh, yeah. We're going to clip right. that little piece out right there. We're just going to promote the heck crap yeah. out of that. All right. We'll yeah. see you later, bro. I got to eat. Tell I got to try to not. I got to try to. Break a thousand tomorrow at VPO. Do it I'll up, see you guys later. Good Peace, body. Adios. All right, guys. Brody Ooh. Smith, everybody. Okay. Jumping in the show. This might be the shortest show we've ever done. There. Probably, definitely the shortest show. And guess what? I have to be up in what's it? Ten thirty right now. No, don't there, be talking about that. Don't be five five hours. No, don't be nice. talking about that. <laughs> I'm gonna keep going right now. Don't don't be talking about that. Um. So um, let me see here. We we had a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like stuttering here. So yeah, then all of our viewer accounts drop because here's the interesting thing. And let me say this. I do not think I will ever speak poorly or with intention of speaking poorly about any of our uh, fans, followers, mm -hmm. subscribers. I want to say that I value everybody's opinion. Um, I would love to see it with respect. I would love to see it with um, good intention or hear it that way and read it that way. And I hope you can do the same for us. We literally exist. This is what sports radio is about. Now, we are not sports radio. I don't want to build ourselves up too much. But this is literally what it's about. Mm -hmm. Talking, getting people talking, and continuing the, the journey of whatever sport it is that we're a part of. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awesome. And, I, and, think, I think we can, and I, I've said this probably. What episode are we on? 24? 24. So I've probably said this for 23 weeks of us doing this is I love reading the chat and tonight, dude, our chat hit over a thousand comments. It's probably, no, it to, did not. Yeah. And we got a badge saying it hit over a thousand comments. That's probably our first. Oh, that's hundred percent. Our first one. And we're but like we averaging also, like 500 between. We, we got to make sure that we're respectful with it though. Yeah. It comes to a point to where it kind of can get out of hand, yeah. especially as, as channels grow and everything like that, the chat grows. And yeah. I just want to make sure that look, don't, don't make us not read know. it. No, yeah, exactly. I, I don't. We'll just stop I, I like it. reading it, and sometimes like yeah. Brody could be saying something, and I'd completely miss it for a second because I'm caught up in what's going on in the chat. Like, believe me, I do value you guys as, um, guys and girls. I do value your comments and everything like that. It's but we're a disc golf podcast. Brody's a new face in the sport. We're technically all faces of the sport. Right now, Matt and I have kind of become, in a sense, content creators, and we want to create content that you that everyone enjoys listening to and watching. And so when you have someone as fired up as Brody about different areas in the sport, you can't say no to the opportunity of having him on. Brody and I are friends. I loved having him on tonight. It kind of brings out a side to me that it's like, you know what? I can get loud for once. I don't know why, but now I can really get into conversation. But <laughs> you kind of like, we got to make sure that we're all on the same page. Like, in a sort of sense, we're all in the same end goal of we want to grow the sport. We really do. I would never, ever, ever say, please, you know what? I do not want to grow the sport. I've jokingly said, oh, Maple Hill is too crowded. You know, <laughs> I got to go find a new course now. That's all in jokes and manners and everything like that. Like, we ultimately want to grow the sport. And 
Yeah. I mean, we could ramble okay. on about this whole thing. But so I let me say this. I see some comments coming in here. We have incredible followers right now, but that's because we don't have like one million. Once you hit a million, you probably have uh, 800,000 who are not yeah. good. But yeah. here's the deal. We, we appreciate it all. So let me just see this here. Someone said, I have Terry Miller on the show. We've had him on the show. Mm -hmm. um, he, someone said, Brody's not a seasoned pro, so it's hard for them to listen. Here, here's my take on that. What if you had somebody like that came from a very successful sport? Let's just say, uh, no, I can't. I was going to say the NFL, C, the, the NFL's, um, uh, what's his name? Goodell, Roger Goodell. Yeah. We, it, nobody really likes him, yeah. commissioner. But like, let's pick a sport where it's been very successful and they come over to disc golf and we'd be like, you're not a seasoned pro, but like the dude's been doing it. Brody's been making money in unique ways. Yeah. He's been in the PGA, all this stuff. I think he has a voice that's at least, at the very least, needs or should be heard with respect. At least mm -hmm. should be. Yeah. And, and I think kind of to that point, you know, Brody probably in, in that probably comment, more than mine. Yeah. In that comment, it said Brody's <laughs> only played like three tournaments. What gives him the right kind of thing? He's played in more tournaments than that. He decided not to tour anymore because he was not doing well on tour. And shout out to him. He just <laughs> gave us 20 bucks. He he's, see, a, he's not making the money. He's what, yeah, giving. Yeah. The money. What a nice guy. But <laughs> super. Chat. I, I want to say really quick, like Brody won a B tier this year. Brody's been putting up. 1,025, 1,030, 1,010 rated rounds. Like, no one thought he would hit 1,000 this year, and he potentially has the chance to hit 1,000 yeah. after VPO. So I think that would be excellent, and I'm going to say I've had hot takes about Brody's game. And didn't hum me, boys. Brody, I had hot takes on your game, and I hope, and I say this genuinely, I hope you prove it wrong. Mm -hmm. I said I don't think... You ready, Brody? This is going to fire. <laughs> if you're still there, this is going to fire you up. And I say this with love because I was, I'm a sports talk radio guy. I said, I don't think we'll ever see you in the top three at an event finish at a disc golf pro tour. That was, I, 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 I said, Paul, take, dude, everyone's got hot takes. I said, Paul wasn't going to win MVP when he was here to his face. Yeah. And Paul oh, proved yeah, me wrong. Exactly. It's not that I'm, I'm actually saying what I want. I'm just saying, like, I'm yeah. trying to make these hot takes. So, Brody, I do hope you prove that wrong. I literally mm -hmm. do that. I want, I root for people's success. Um, Nick, to finish out the show that's been now three and a half hours long, this yep. is our longest ever. Um, Brody, appreciate you paying for dinner. Nothing, yeah, nothing like having two contrasting um, personality types. Yeah. Chris Dickerson, literally, I think oh we, gosh. the probably the far, maybe Calvin, but I think yeah. Chris is even possibly the more opposite. So, people came for Dickerson and then Brody comes on later. We'll see how we split this show up. But Disc Golf Rich, just to finish it out, do we need to change the term? Paul awesomely picked up a McLaren. Incredible. $200,000 yeah. plus vehicle. Yeah. I literally, it's so cool. It's sick. It's not my money, so I literally don't care what he does with his money. And I think if I had the opportunity to buy one, I would probably do it too. I, I'd buy an Acura NSX, but I'm biased. <laughs> Dude, but I think, is yeah, there any reason, sick. Mick Beth, Mick Claren, is there any reason for that all? <laughs> to help Nick pay for all those Brody lunches. just did another super chat. <laughs> Brody, you're the man. Look at, he, uh -oh. wait, aren't you sponsored by him technically? Yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> so you're getting like a double sponsorship? Yeah, exactly. Now? I'm getting like a triple sponsor right now. Okay. But so, anyways, Brody Mick, keeps Mick, slinging them checks. But yeah, McLaren, McBeast, McBeth, McLaren, yeah. Mick, I think it just yeah. kind of is that at all, or is that just random? No, I think that's, okay. I mean, he obviously likes McLarens. Well, so if if you go back to my Instagram from a few weeks back at the Maple Hill Open, Paul and I jokingly went to an Audi dealership with uh, Simon and Eagle to go look at Audi R8s because that's kind of a car that he was saying is like a dream car to him. 
and we looked at them in person. We looked at the convertibles, the spiders and everything like that, but he didn't like the convertible, which he kind of wanted a convertible supercar and everything like that. And I think the McLaren just kind of came about and boom, there we go. <laughs> so yeah. you're the reason. Yeah, heck no. I think we'll have to push heck this no. because the show's been so long, but I, I would like to people to think about it at least. Get people to think is like, what does this mean? Does it mean anything for the disc golf world to have a professional who is able to, this is never, ever, ever, ever in the history of the sport, has a professional disc golfer been able to uh, purchase something like a McLaren. Okay, now listen. We also are seeing things like house purchases. Um, Chris Dickerson just told us he's doing that. Uh, the Oakleys purchased a house. Simon mm-hmm. Lazat just purchased a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's disc golfers everywhere now who are actually able to do that. This the sport is changing. Yeah. Look at the change in the the tide of disc the pro, golf. The pro scene is really changing. Players twenty thousand dollar payouts at the championship. It is starting yeah, to change. Players are slowly starting to actually be able to make a comfortable living of this. And do you think? No, you don't have to tell me this. Did Paul? Did Paul buy this cash? I feel like he did. I feel like he bought it cash. <laughs> yeah, Nick doesn't know. I, I just like in my head, I'm like, man, that'd be a that'd be a baller move. Like. Here's the cash. I'm buying it. Deliver it in a trailer to my house. <laughs> it did then, come in a trailer. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have the picture of it. So. so, and then finally, if you've made it this far, then I, I think I'm probably interested in your opinion <laughs> because more of our true followers are making it this far. <laughs> the McLaren's Jomez, McLaren Jomez built. You ready, Nick? <laughs> this was where yeah. I was talking about disc golf rich yeah. and in a funny way for me. Uh. I collected the Disc Golf Pro Tour trading cards back when they first came out. Yeah. In 2016 was that first year when they were made, but they rolled out in like 2017, obviously, for the 2016 year's cars, cards. And I had somebody just hit me up this week. You ready? And I need your opinion. I was offered, and I'm just going to put this out there public. If he's listening and he finds our show, then here I'm not saying your name, but I was offered $2,000 for the trading cards wow two thousand dollars to hand over the full collection the full collection everything there was only 15 championship cards yeah so that means there's only a possibility of 15 of these existing in the world and that would be a maximum i have one of them for the sake in the history of disc golf should i hold on to it forever and say i have a piece of it and there's only 15 other people max that could have this or do i say two thousand dollars and he goes or Six hundred dollars for the Wysocki champion card, so I can just sell one card for six hundred. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, because I love collecting. I can't answer that one because I've never been collector. A, uh, collector. So you would sell it? Cards? You'd be like, dude, two grand. That I don't know. Cost I, me two if, grand. It, if it was something that I knew holds more value and will hold more value in the next five years, I'd hold on to it. Like, man, everybody's uh, commenting, don't sell it, and I think I was leaning towards. Someone goes it. buy cards, and uh, Travis, I kind of figure you're kind of being sarcastic. I'm just replying to a comment. All right. But we've made someone, it to the... Yeah, someone, someone said earlier, you know, we said, oh, yeah, they can finally start making a comfortable living. And yeah, the top 10 to 15 are starting finally in the year 2020 to make somewhat of comfortable living. There's a large portion of people in the world that work a full-time job who are making more than them. I'm talking about there's more players nowadays not living out of cars than there were, you know, five years ago. And there's still only four or five players who are actually making good money in disc golf. So, yeah, for a sport that's been around since the late 70s, it's not that great. 
to only have 15, 20 people be able to comfortably, and I say that in quotes, comfortably live on tour. So we've made it to the end of the show, Nick. Believe it or not, we've only beat our record by like an hour. And oh, 10, yeah, I know, right? An hour and, yeah, an hour and like 10 I think, minutes. I think we got kind of close to our live viewers, though. Someone was saying earlier, if we hit it, I the last I saw I on YouTube know. was like 530, and literally, I think we had like 550. Literally, we'll get a report later, yeah. but our live feed like the viewer count just like froze as soon as yeah, like everything started going up so anyways uh before here's we, how our here's yeah, how our we weeks are going off. yeah so christopher uh, another super chat narbo we appreciate it i think you super chatted us earlier as well and i just want to say thank you for that as well norwegian kroners or something todd so. i'm sorry there's no more topics after almost four hours of <laughs> rambling i think <laughs> we're gonna call it a night yeah i think we <laughs> <laughs> i think we're finally this gonna... is okay so if this was your show style you loved it then let us know okay so here's how it looks next week sorry to like everybody that finds us after this show you know we are taking off next week so that is um whatever that is mm-hmm. november Daniel, 12th yeah. right uh, yes november yeah, 12th. next week off, off. November 19th. So the next week, we're back on. So yes. a week off. With potentially a really, really, Can we really... say? No. Why? Because I don't want it to potentially not happen and get our viewers hopes You told up. me it would happen. I mean, they said it would happen. Okay. Guys and girls, we're going to have five-time world champion You're Paige, gonna... oh. Paige Pierce on the show. Okay, so you did say That's it. the potential. November 19th, <laughs> write it down. We're going to have Paige Pierce on the show. Hopefully, uh, she said to me that we are going to be able to do that. And then we're going to do an episode. We're going to take off Thanksgiving week, obviously. Um, Travis Hawkinson, thank you so much. Um, we really, really appreciate the super chat. That's insane. And uh, so <laughs> we're going to can, can you pull up the calendar again? <laughs> Nick, what? I've got like super high metabolism and people can see my feet right now. And oh, my yeah. feet are like running, right? Because yeah. they're like, man, like Matt's running on the show. So we're taking off Thanksgiving. Which so is the 26th. So we're taking off next week. We're back on the following. So the yep. 19th. We're taking off. The 26th, which is Thanksgiving, we're back on December 3rd. 3rd. Yep. So hopefully Paige Pierce the 19th. And then for December, we've got guests lined up, hopefully to come in studio. Yes. That's our hope. We, I haven't asked them yet, but you want to okay. kind of shout it out. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. So right, I'll, go. I'll, t- I'll text them tomorrow. So we want to have Simon Lazat and Casey White in studio. We're going to set it up like we did with the Jomez crew and the McBeths. Um, yeah, we're just going to have a fun time with those two. You can obviously see how Casey has grown insanely as a player and kind of a YouTube sensation on Simon's vlogs. So we're going to check out all that. And then we're going to take the rest <laughs> of this chat has made December me laugh off. so much tonight. Yeah. And it's made me cringe so much. People are calling it the Jerry Springer chat. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I, we're going to end it out. Nick, say, say your little deal thing. So and then... everybody, please, if you enjoyed the episode, go on to your favorite podcast stations uh give us a review give us a thumbs up on youtube give us a thumbs up smash the like button subscribe to the channel please we're in the middle of the 3k giveaway tell someone you love them we'll catch you in the next one nick you're awesome peace thanks for tuning in to the nick and matt show be sure to check us out on your favorite social platform and subscribe on itunes